Phantomaniacs, welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I am Phantom Troublemaker, your host, and before we get into the show, which is about X-Men, because X-Men Apocalypse comes out today, or really last night, I guess, uh, before I get to that, I am going to talk about two things. I'm going to talk about Preacher. And I am going to talk about DC Comics Rebirth. Uh, not a lot. I'm not going to get into a ton of detail because I think we're going to have to do an episode about it. But I just want you guys to have the opportunity to get on these things as quickly as possible because I think they're both wonderful. Uh, Preacher is one of my top five, and I, and I haven't sat down and listed my top five favorite comic books ever uh, Ultimate Spider-Man is in there, New X-Men is in there, Uncanny X-Men is in there, Preacher's in there, uh, Legends of the Dark Knight. There's five right there that could potentially be my top five. Uh, but Preacher will for sure be in that top five. I love it from beginning to end. I think it's fantastic. The pacing is wonderful. The character development is wonderful. Just everything about it, it's a, it's a great run of comic books. It's consistently awesome. I highly recommend the comic book. So the televised adaptation of said comic book aired or premiered on AMC this past Sunday. And I believe they're playing it again this coming Sunday before they move on to the second episode the following week. You guys need to watch it. Uh, I did not feel good about this thing at all. As a matter of fact, I had almost gotten myself to the point where I didn't care about it. Obviously, I was going to have to watch it. I was obligated to watch it. And obligation is going to be a theme of the things that I'm talking about today. Uh, I felt obligated to watch Preacher. I had to give it a chance. I was not crazy about Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg being behind it. Uh, and I love Seth Rogen. Uh, I, I, I don't love everything he's done, but I know his humor just from interviews from the movies he's done. I like the guy, but I did not think he was right for this project. Uh, it was too near and dear to me. I didn't want it to be goofy. And and the other issue I had was AMC, everything that they do is uh, has a certain tone to it. Uh, it's not all exactly the same, but there is a certain seriousness to everything. Uh, and Walking Dead, I, I, uh, I absolutely loathe Walking Dead and Fear the Walking Dead. So I, I had a lot of concerns about Preacher and the pilot episode, the premiere, whatever you want to call it, season one, episode one, was fan-fucking-tastic. I watched it twice in a day. I have watched it a third time since then, and I love it. It made me incredibly happy. Uh, the car Tulip and Cassidy are beyond perfect. Could not have been better. Uh, Jesse is is still brewing, but we saw him in one of the scenes. You see the Jesse. If you've read the comics, you see the Jesse Custer that we know and love. Uh, there, there is a slow motion shot of a facial expression, and man, <laughs> it's Jesse. 
and this whole thing is preacher. It's so messed up. The tone is just right. There are laugh out loud moments. There are disturbing moments. Uh, man, uh, Seth and Evan, you guys nailed it. I'm sorry I doubted you. I'm sure you're listening to this right now. Uh, but I am. I'm sorry I doubted those guys. I'm sorry I doubted AMC. I'm sorry I doubted anything about it. Now, having said that, obviously it could all go downhill. I still love the first season of Walking Dead uh, by Frank Darabont. So, you know, there's room for things to fail. But as of right now, I'm delighted and I see that they're setting the foundation for some wonderful things. So if you guys didn't watch Preacher uh, because you just weren't interested in it, or if you were too afraid of it being terrible and dishonoring the comic book, uh, let me let me uh, calm your nerves. Asswedge? 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 Asswedge. Let me asswedge your fears. I don't think that's right at all. Uh, but seriously, check it out. Uh, you, I think you have the opportunity again this Sunday, and it's not. If not, it's on demand. So, preacher gives two giant thumbs up from Phantom. Moving on, DC Universe Rebirth number one came out Tuesday at midnight, uh, technically on Wednesday, and I have read that twice. I have not read it a third time because I've been at work and I haven't had the opportunity to, but it delighted me as much as preacher in a completely different way. Uh, I go to needlessthingssite.com and check out my review. I don't want to spoil anything because there are three events that happen in that comic book. Uh, the first made me tear up. The second made me say, holy shit out loud. And the third made me say, holy shit out louder. This rebirth is as perfect as it could have been for what it is which is an apology for everything dc has been doing wrong not just for the last five years since the new 52 but really almost for the past two decades if not longer really i uh, highly recommend it you guys seriously if you've got three dollars take three dollars it's 80 pages Take $3, go to your local comic book shop, and pick up a copy of Rebirth. I'm sure they've got tons of them, and just read it. And if you don't like it, I'm sorry. Uh, Jeff Johns has said he's refunding people's money, so however that works, I don't know. But, you know, check it out. If you're that unhappy with it, get get your money back. But you're not going to be. I haven't talked to anybody yet who didn't like it. There are people who are being curmudgeonly about it. Even the people who are like, well, I didn't like this one thing have been like, yeah, it's pretty great. Uh, and I, I think it's wonderful, and we're, we're going to have to do an episode. Uh, and, and the problem is going to be narrowing it down to who to have on the episode because everybody wants to talk about this thing. Uh, and I need to get it done sooner than later. So DC Universe Rebirth number one, go to your local comic book shop and buy this thing. Finally, that brings me to and, – and oh, Obligation. I have to cover Obligation. I felt obligated to read it. I love DC. Uh, I don't love what they've been lately, but Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, uh, Green Arrow, all of those, to me, are superheroes in a very different way from, from Marvel. And granted, Marvel has been somewhat better at being superheroic lately, but I, I can't, you know, I was raised 
on the DC superheroes, on the Super Friends, on the old Batman cartoon, on the Superman movies, on the Wonder Woman show, like, that's my basis. I didn't even find, I mean, I knew about Spider-Man, obviously, like, Spider-Man was a huge part of my development, uh, but X-Men are where I really got into Marvel comics, and were my Marvel experience for decades, so... You know, the Avengers side of things, I, I can't speak to very much. So for superheroes, I go to DC. And uh, so I felt like I had to read this thing. Even though, and, and you can go back and look, I, I did a, uh, a sort of a pre-write-up on the DC Rebirth magazine that came out a month or so ago. And you guys can go read that and tell I was not excited about this thing. There were a couple of books I was planning on checking out, but I was not pumped up. Now I'm pumped up. And I'm thrilled that I am. And again, just like Preacher, it could all go downhill. They could totally screw it up. But right now, I have hope that we're going to see the DC that we know and love. Finally, uh, the final obligation of the day. Uh, no, it's not. The third obligation of the day, and then one final obligation after that. Uh, third obligation is X-Men Apocalypse. I've gone back and forth on whether or not I'm going to see it. I've decided I have to see it. I, I, I mean, like I just said, X-Men are my guys. They were my entry point really into comic books and, or into collecting comic books at least. Uh, I have to see it. I guess I'm going to go get up in the morning and see it. School's out, so I, I don't know what the theater's going to be like. Normally I can go uh, during the day and and almost have a theater to myself. I don't know what it's going to be like tomorrow, but I've, I've got to go see this thing. I can't not see it because then I have no right to complain about it. So there you go. I'm obligated to that. And I'm going to read you, actually, my sister uh, went to see it with her husband tonight. So you guys are going to get the treat of our text conversation following uh, Sister Troublemaker's viewing of X-Men Apocalypse. Uh, here we go from her. Uh, there were about 20 people total for opening night first show. Wow. How was it? Eh. That's a quote. Eh. It was okay. Kind of the same flow as the other comic movies lately. Two hours of introducing a bunch of characters and then 20 minutes of shitstorm. Quicksilver kind of saved it for us. Nine movies in, we shouldn't need introductions. You'd think even Mom knows who most of them are. It was fun to see all the characters. Story was the normal, super powerful guy seeks to destroy the world. Oddly, we didn't feel the CG was up to par. And that's where we left it off uh, ten minutes ago. I have not uh, responded back to that yet because CG is, is kind of a bone of contention with me right now because it seems to be getting worse, which I don't understand. But uh, So there you go, an exclusive look at uh, Sister Troublemaker's review of X-Men Apocalypse. Eh... That's a quote, folks. Okay, final obligation of the day before we get to me and Beth and Chad J. Shonk talking about uh, X-Men just in general. And that is, you need to go visit Phantom Troublemaker. I'm sorry, Patreon.com. I always want to put myself first. Patreon.com slash Phantom Troublemaker. Check out the rewards. Uh, you can see what a slackass I've been with posting actual like reviews and stuff on the site but i am giving you special podcast episodes on there that you cannot get here uh if you contribute five dollars or more a month to my patreon 
you have access to that special podcast as well as other rewards. Uh, and I do send out the rewards. That is, is not an issue. And the, the guys all told me how pleased they were with what they got for April. And the May rewards are going to go out in just a few days. You still have time to contribute uh, for May. That's patreon.com slash phantom troublemaker. And you can support all the stuff that I do. The game show, the podcast, the website, uh, costume stuff, whatever, everything except toys. I do not use Patreon money to buy toys. Uh, that, that is, I draw the line there. Uh, if I need a new camera to photograph the toys, then I would put it towards that maybe. But yeah, I feel like toys are, are a different thing and you guys shouldn't be paying for that. So anyway, go check it out. Check out the rewards. Anything from a dollar to, uh, $30 end up, but $30 is the, the top tier I have where every month you will get a Needless Things mystery box jammed full of stuff because I, I've been a nerd for 40 years now and I've got so much stuff sitting around the Phantom Zone just waiting to get into your hot, sweaty little hands if you just throw me a few bucks every month. So there you go, patreon.com slash Phantom Troublemaker. Now it's time for music, then it's time for X-Men. We're going to talk about X-Men and just whatever comes to mind and X-Men wise. And I want to start off as we always do by each of us discussing how we even came to be aware of the X-Men. Uh, and I, I don't know that I've talked about this on this show before. I might've mentioned it on the ESO podcast. I might've written about it on needlessthingssite.com, but X-Men uncanny X-Men was one of the first comic books I bought with my own money up visiting my grandparents in North Carolina and, and I can't ever remember the issue number, but the cover is one of the most iconic comic book covers in my personal collection. It's Wolverine on the front being turned into one of the brood. Yep. And that comic, even though it was coming in in the middle of the storyline, because that storyline had actually begun an issue or two before that, but I picked up that comic, uh, Batman comic, a couple other things, but that's where I found the X-Men in 1983 or four, I think it was. And that was the first comic that made me seek out the next comic. That's really my gateway into collecting comics and to getting invested into those periodical storylines because I read that and I had to know what happened next. And that was when mom started taking me, uh, I, I think maybe it was Eckerd or Revco or whatever the case may be with the spinner rack. I, I don't believe I discovered comic book shops at that point, but that got me into the X-Men, got me into Chris Claremont's incomparable run of X-Men stories. And that's, that's where I started with it. Uh, what about you guys? Beth, where did you first discover Marvel's Merry Mutants, which is ridiculous because they're not merry at all. They're really not happy people. Um, they're not people. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> oh, no! They're homo it's superior. It's different. <laughs> I, I don't have a specific memory of a line of X-Men I got into or a storyline or anything. 
I just had a very nerdy father and a little brother growing up, so there were just always comic books laying around. Not a lot of DC. I don't know why. For some reason, my dad was into Marvel, and so then that's where I started reading Marvel, and I think probably the fact that there was no DC ever laying around the house is why I never got into it, but also I just really related to, as a child, the idea of you know, the pubescent switch that that flips and makes you into a different person. Right. Um, because, I always found very interesting. Uh, well, and that's the thing, is if you discover them at a young age, uh, it's it's the most, I think, enthralling of all youthful fantasies that something could happen to make you different than what you are, to make you special, to make things exciting and big and like finding another world it's like the same thing as narnia or whatever it's that oh uh, something could happen to me it's like narnia but with less jesus fantasies and and less talking animals i guess oh i think there are plenty of jesus fantasies in x-men but uh... yeah okay (laughs) chad what about you where where did you find them i came to comics a little later and by a little later i mean like 12 Sure, but uh, other than GI Joe and Star Wars, like I read GI Joe and Star Wars comics uh, as a kid, and then we had a place in my hometown called Bernie's Booze and News. It was basically half newsstand, half uh, liquor store, and uh, <laughs> that's the only place in town that sold, sold comics in my little small town in Ohio. So we would go once every two weeks or something, and. Um, you know, my dad would buy some wine and we'd look at magazines. I'd try to get a glimpse of the porno section in the back that they had like cordoned off. And then I would buy comics. And I think the first Wolverine comic I ever bought, and it's sad because all of mine have the, the UPC on them, not the, uh, direct sale. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Um, the first one I remember buying X-Men wise was Wolverine number one. Not the Japanese miniseries, but the ongoing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Claremont one where it's basically just him massacring a bunch of people for 22 pages. Um, but I remember reading that first and then I think, you know, I started buying some other comics. I remember it's all that, that, that chain that you talk about, you know, I think Hulk crossed over. And so then I had to go buy Hulk. Yeah. I was reading Hulk and then he fought the thing. So I was like, fuck, I got to go buy some Fantastic Four and it just becomes this chain. Uh, but Wolverine was kind of my first experience with the X-Men. I knew who he was just from friends who read comics and everything, but didn't know anything about him. And then I started reading Uncanny, but the first event, and I, I just mark my X-Men, I mark a lot of my comic reading by events, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think Inferno was my first big event. Oh, dude. That was the first big event. I kind of came in and I was lost because I didn't know the history with X-Factor and with the original X-Men dying but not dying and I, I didn't know any of that um uh going back and looking at it now and thinking about it now i understand more but i and then i got pretty heavily into the x-men there for for quite some time um but i think i i don't know by the time the 90s comic boom destroyed comic books um uh i.e x-force uh image comics that that version of image well comics. it wasn't even about it wasn't even about specific titles or, or no, it was or whatever. The, it was about it was the, the ridiculous the oversaturation of multiple yeah, covers, and, and holographic gatefold astroturf covers. You, you mean the um, X Men cartoon didn't ruin it for you? Hey, uh, that cartoon's not bad. I'm kidding. I love that cartoon. But the, uh, the time. 
I, I would argue that the appropriately uh, timed, uh, as we speak, Batman Death of Superman storyline was kind of the nadir of it all, um, as far as the the polybagging and then the billion different covers and convincing us we were supposed to buy five or six copies. You know, it wasn't that we just bought five or six copies; we were told we were supposed to buy five or six copies. Of right. Spawn number one, Spider-Man number one, X-Men number one when they relaunched into two different books. Right? Well, and the comic book shops at the time uh, definitely got caught up in all of that. and They sold us and, right into it. Yeah, they yeah. absolutely did. And nobody, uh, as uh, as Jack Nicholson said in uh, Batman, nobody was thinking about the future. <laughs> yeah, no, no, they weren't. And, and it, and it, because it became a news story at some point that some comics from way back were worth something. Right, and then all of a sudden, everybody and their moms and their grandmothers thought comic books were a good investment, not realizing what makes something worth money is scarcity, and uh, in in the fact that I have I think six copies of Todd McFarlane's Spider Man number one uh, <laughs> means that they're worth less than what they're printed on. But but anyway, after that kind of the Liefeld era, the New Mutant X Force era, I kind of started to fade off. But I but at that time I was fading out of comics altogether. Um, sure. I, I, I walked away from comics for probably a full decade, maybe a little less. Um, picking up here or there, I read Preacher all the way through during that yes. time. It was like the only book I was reading at one point and, and things like that. But the X-Men were always something that I really loved when I was, like Beth said, kind of a teenager. And I wasn't aware of any of the the more civil rights aspects of the X-Men that are definitely there. You know, I wasn't really thinking in those terms, obviously, at that well, point. Well, what was so – what's – What's so effective about that kind of storytelling, though? And and uh, by the way, I've got to say this before we get too much further on. Uh, when you say Inferno, you tug at my heartstrings because that yeah. is my all-time favorite crazy-ass crossover. It was nuts. And then all of a sudden – and then I just remember that all I remember really is the vision of Cyclops disintegrating Mr. Sinister. Yes. At the end and going like, oh, shit. It, well, and it's just nuts because it crossed it crossed over through uh, Spider Man. Like even Spider Man yeah. was involved, and in Avengers that. and everybody. It was just like it, it was. There's portals to hell opening up all over New York, and people are popping out. Yeah, it was the, just the imagery of that. It was it was uh, it was creepy. I mean, it was a comic book. It was the printed page, but it was still creepy. Uh, but but as far as the the social issues presented in X Men, to me. Chris Claremont was presenting them in such a way that even if you weren't conscious of them, you were still picking up on what he was saying about accepting people with differences, about how difficult it can be to have differences that you can't do anything about. He even got down to, you know, let alone mutants that are that are young and pretty like, you know, Ilyana or, or Jean Grey or whatever – you know, let alone them having to cope with their abilities, but then beyond that, you have the mutants that look a certain way and cannot blend into society, cannot hide what they are in any way. Like yeah, there, but- there were so many things that he was subtly working in that, that like you said, I didn't, you know, I wasn't picking up on how uh, that stuff was was being conveyed, but it still penetrated into my brain and still changed who I was as a person. And informed, and informed you. Yes. I mean, there was also, I was probably vaguely aware of World War II, but I, but there's definitely a Holocaust metaphor running through X-Men as well, uh, with Geonosha, with Geonosha and everything. So, I mean, I didn't pick up on that, but I'm sure, I'm sure the first time I read about the Holocaust, like in earnest, I was like, oh, like Geonosha, you know, like it really, like. <laughs> or like what made Magneto. 
Right. Or, I mean, or, they're, yeah, they're, well, no, of course, yeah, but like, I wasn't aware of any of that backstory when I'm reading it. You know, I'm just reading it monthly. I probably at the time when I was a kid was missing issues every once in a while. Sure. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the comic store or the comic store, the newsstand would get one or two of each or something, and I'd go through the rack looking for one that wasn't torn up, or or even if it was torn up, I didn't care. Well, I actually remember at one point uh, my big, and I can't remember if it was Christmas or birthday, but my big present one year was uh, my mom let me go to Mile High, or not go to, uh, fill out an order form back pre-internet days to Mile High Comics to fill in all of the missing issues of Uncanny X-Men that I did not have. Yeah, I remember those. I remember those forms. That was, that box coming was one of the most exciting moments of my youth because... If you're younger than us, if you're younger than us, there was a time where you would send in like a checklist to a comic to a comic book somewhere place and have them send you comics. But if I remember correctly, you also put like your alternatives down, your alternates. So if they weren't in the comics, right, that you wanted weren't in, they'd send you others. Right, right, exactly. And and it was funny because you'd open up and, and it, you got you know you guys can go buy any comic book from from the late eighties. And it'll have an ad for Mile High Comics with a big checklist of, you know, everything, all the titles they have. And honestly, I I can't even quite remember. I think she had to send off for a catalog, and they sent the catalog, and then I went in that and checked off everything that I needed. And then we sent that back to them uh, with a check, like you said, a paper check. And just hoped that they had everything in stock, which of course this is, you know, Mile High Comics at this point is, is an industry unto itself. Uh, one of the greatest comic book retailers on the planet. And, and we're no uh, longer going to Comic Con. Um, uh, yes, exactly. Uh, yeah, but anyway. I, I, I remember doing it. I bought my, for Christmas one year, my brother was an Iron Man fan, so I saved up my money and bought him Iron Man number one. You know, like a, a you know, a mid, mid-grade copy, yeah, not yeah. a copy of Iron Man number one through like Mile High or one of those distributors. And what came was like $100 of other comics. Oh, because they were, because they didn't, they didn't have, have one. it. Oh, yeah. man. And that's, yeah, so. but that's how it was. There was no like, it was the only uh, time I did that. <laughs> when you, you know, when you ordered like that, there was no, I guaranteed what I want. It was, well, if we've got it, you'll get it. If not, we're going to find an alternative. And that's, you know, the, things, uh, things were a little different for collectors back then. Beth, uh, we, we have been certainly rattling on enough. Are there any specific memories you have before we move on to the X-Men tie-in media? Are there any memories you have of reading the comics, any specific storylines or characters that kind of stood out? Um, so I know a lot of people aren't Gambit fans, <laughs> but I was is. always a Gambit fan. Um, I never liked Rogue. I, I never liked the characters that I think you were supposed to like. I, I didn't care about Wolverine as much. I liked characters like, I thought Psylocke was bad ass. And I remember when, uh, Carrie and I went to Universal Studios about, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, I was trying to find a Psylocke shirt everywhere, but it was all Storm and Jean Grey and Wolverine, and that was it. It it was the whole, there was a whole X-Men section, and you couldn't find anything. Yeah, that's, and it's interesting, because you're right, Psylocke, like, she was one of my favorites, one, because purple, two, because butt, Um, (laughs) and you're right. I've I've seen too many fat Psylocke at Dragon Con now. (laughs) Yeah, Psychic Ninja, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, 
you're right. Merchandising, and that's another thing that these kids today. Gosh, this is going to turn into a cranky old person old cast. Uh, remember how special it was getting like X Men shirts, like the comic shop you walk in and, and back then, you know, I don't know that I was even aware of previews until the mid to late nineties. Uh, so you'd have to walk into your comic shop and just hope they had an X-Men shirt that was cool. I mean, granted, I don't know about you guys. I, I, uh, I never hit the stage where I felt like maybe I shouldn't wear shirts with comic book shit on them. Nope. I, I never, never, hit, never hit that stage. Yeah. I'm currently wearing it. I'm currently wearing a T-shirt that's a mashup between Game of Thrones and The Simpsons. Well, now I mean, now we're too old and we don't care what people think of us. But I, yeah. even in my teenage years, I, I never had as self-conscious as I was. I, I guess I wasn't self-conscious in quite the right direction. So I'm wearing X-Men shirts to school and stuff. But I remember getting a shirt with uh, Jim Lee. It was it covered a, one of the pre. Yellow, uh, gold team, blue team launch. It was prior to that, but it was a Jim Lee design with, you know, Wolverine and, and Rogue and Psylocke and, you know, all, all the Cyclops, everybody kind of bursting out of the front with X-Men on the top. And I was so excited to get that shirt. I was like, holy fuck, I can't believe I have an X-Men shirt. This is crazy. It's unbelievable. And now these kids today can go to. That's, any- that's true, but I would argue that the X-Men are still. And I say this is not like a giant X-Men fan, but the X-Men are still fairly underrepresented, I would say, in pop culture right now. Uh, uh, part of that's because of the success no. of the Marvel Cinematic movies. Well, I, I agree yeah. with that, but at the same time, if you want an X-Men shirt, you can buy one in roughly three and a half seconds. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, you can now, del- but at least be happy back then you could find a shirt that fit you properly. Well, not, yeah, you're right. Not to go off on the, these kids today. No, no, you know, no. Not to... Not to one-up you, but I had to wear dude shirts or cut the necks out of them. Well, no, even today, though, every shirt that you find is athletic fit. And uh, if there is one word that does not describe me, it is athletic. Uh, I do not care for these shirts that make me look like a sausage in a tube with the (laughs) tiny little sleeves on them. I miss the shirt fits of the 90s. I really, really didn't want that mental image, but thanks. Well, (laughs) I'm Well, you know what? You're going to get that visual image anytime you see me because that's the <laughs> only thing you can buy these days. Uh, I don't know what's wrong with a good medium, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's I miss shirts that just fit like regular ass t-shirts. But welcome to Fashion Talk. Okay, okay. Uh, sorry, right. sorry, sorry that's, to digress, but as of as for storylines or anything in particular that I, I remember about X Men. Days of Future Past, Age of Apocalypse, two of my favorite storylines ever. It is time. Dis- disappointed. Okay, so yes, I won't. I won't uh, jump ahead to the media. Yeah, we'll we'll get to the media in a second because I do want to discuss Age of Apocalypse and how wrong I apparently am about Age of Apocalypse. That is when I stopped reading X Men comics because I didn't like it at all. Um, a big part of it was, is it Joe Madureira that did a lot of the art for that? Okay, that's, those, those it, are I questions just, I, I can't answer. I, can't answer. It, I didn't read it. I didn't read it's it. either Joe Madureira or Humberto Ramos, who I love those guys when they do Spider-Man. I do not like my X-Men to look cartoony. I don't like 
goofy proportions. I don't like them to look like anime or manga. I want my X-Men to look like Will Spertacio or Mark Silvestri or, uh, you know, I, I, I want them to look comic booky, but not cartoony. And Age of Apocalypse featured so much cartoony art, so much subpar art. And maybe, uh, maybe I maybe I am a poser. I don't know because no, I don't. Not. No, 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 no. There's no, no, I, there's I, no such I thing. Know, I don't know the the different authors of each different yeah, storyline. I don't know to, the though. artwork of each different storyline. I just I just enjoyed looking at comic books and no, reading comic books. That, and you know what? That's all you need to be a fan of anything. I, you don't, I wasn't I, aware at the time. Yeah, yeah. No, I and and that's like. To me, if you enjoy reading something, that's enough. You don't have to know the artist. You don't have to know the writer. You don't, good Lord knows you don't have to know the inker. I'm just kidding. I'm friends with inkers. Most they will people laugh don't at know those things to this day. No, they don't. can't name five and, movie directors. No, and they don't need to. You don't, no. you don't have to know the details to enjoy something or be a fan of it. But my Age of Apocalypse really turned me off, and I'm in the minority. To most people... That to most people that are X Men fans, that is a high point. That is the most often referenced storyline, uh, but it's not my thing, and it's why I, I, I'm, I I'm going for based a while. on story, based on how engaging I found the story. I don't really remember the art that much as I remember the story, and and I I totally understand that, and it's it is it is I, I don't know if it's the most popular, but it is certainly one of the top five or even three most popular X Men story arcs. Or, or crossovers or whatever that has ever happened. Um, it brought. No, I will say I didn't. I did not go into all of the other crossover parts. I never read Excalibur. I, I was never into Generation X or X Men uh, Omega or right, any, right. any of the other. I didn't read the lesser stuff. Yeah, and well, and that's that's one thing that Marvel used to do a pretty good job with, and actually have have recently gotten a little better with again is that you don't have to read the tertiary tie-ins to understand the story. Like we were talking about Inferno. You can read the main Inferno story, get everything you need out of it, and never read any of the, the secondary chapters. Or you can just read the secondary chapters. If you read the Spider-Man title on its own, you can get... There's weird demonic shit going on in New York City. Spider-Man's part in it is told... And concluded in a satisfactory manner. You yeah, don't, I, I remember very clearly, like the web of Spider-Man issue. Yes, you yeah. you don't have to like if you read Spider-Man's issues, it's its own story. You don't have to go read the main story if you don't want to. And that is something that, uh, like I said, Marvel's getting a little better with that. I feel like the Secret Wars stuff. Uh, they did a pretty decent job of if you want to read the main story, you're going to get it all. If you just are happening to be reading one of the other titles that has a tie-in, it tells its own story. Like they 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 did all right with that, and I wish they would get a little better with it because there's nothing I resent more than having to purchase a comic that I am not currently reading to get part of a story. Um, and and the X books are. Possibly the most guilty of that in their latter years. They Major. used to be, yeah. And, and it, it was, uh, it, it definitely, after Age of Apocalypse, once they started their crossover events, it did get to that point. I think I quit reading X-Men when it became impenetrable. Where it, when it became, if you weren't in it, you couldn't just read it. Well, I, you know, I you, think I, I liked when they, when they went back and did, um, 
Ultimate X-Men because I felt like that cut away a lot of the chaff. Yeah, it was the whole and, point and of the Ultimate line. Kinda, yeah. It just kind of laid it out so that I didn't have to worry about 12 other comics that I wasn't going to read. Yeah, and I, that's one thing that I, I loved about the Ultimate Universe because I, I, I stopped – reading comics for probably seven, six, seven years aside from like Chad, I think you and I are on a very similar timeline because I read preacher. Uh, I came in a little late on Sandman, but got caught up very, very quickly. Uh, so I, I guess maybe superhero comics got a little too silly for me at one point and I was yes. only reading serious comics. Um, Preacher's pretty silly. Preacher's ridiculous, <laughs> but to, you know, 18, 19. Uh, yes, it was hardcore. Uh, yes, yeah. exactly. Man, yeah. this is the real shit. Yeah. Like a that, word I hate you using anymore because it just sounds like you're such a douche bro when, you're right, yes. when you say hardcore. But, but, yeah. but that, you know, you're you're young. You don't know any better. And that's that's how we all learn is like being able to look back at things that we loved and realize that's a little silly. I still love it, but – uh, there, you know, it's it's if ever evolving context, I yes. think. Uh, but uh, then I came back into the X Men stuff. Gosh, it might have been when Joss Whedon and John Cassidy did Astonishing X Men. That's that, that's that was I read, that was I read when that. I started buying again. And Me holy too. shit, did it live up to the name? Yeah, it was really good. Uh, Josh, yeah, that's when I, that's when I came back as well, more for Joss than for the X Men. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and I said, oh, Joss, you know, and then I just realized, oh, of course, he just wants to write Kitty Pride because she's Buffy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and I really enjoyed that run quite a bit. Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, it was, it was from beginning to end. Uh, their entire run was absolutely wonderful. Uh, and, and not to gloss over the ultimate stuff because, Beth, you brought up something very, very important. And that is how wonderful Ultimate X-Men was for lapsed readers or for new readers because it did away with all the continuity concerns and gave you a fresh story. And that's uh, Brian Michael Bendis. I I have, and I, I hate to qualify things, but I have to, uh, I have a lot of gripes with a lot of his work, but his work on ultimate Spider-Man is one of the most perfect things ever. Yeah. It's what I would recommend to anyone who wants yes. to dive into Spider-Man. I'm like, forget I have like all the like Marvel Masterworks, Amazing Spider-Man early ones, you know, that are basically like Archie comics with Spider-Man in it. Yes, but but I, if I, someone said where do I start, I'd be like Ultimate Ultimate Spider-Man, yeah. absolutely, and and all of the Ultimate comics to one degree yeah. or another held a certain initially at least held a certain standard of excellent storytelling, art that was different than what was going on in the current Marvel universe. And just a, a great continuity where maybe every once in a while it would rub shoulders with the other ultimate books. But for the most part, you could stick with your, your book and keep going. I, I and love... it gave us Sam Jackson as Nick Fury. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So no, I, I feel the same way kind of about the Earth One books right now. The DC puts out the, oh, like the, uh, yes. the Graham Morrison just put out the Wonder Woman. Earth have you, One have you read it yet? I haven't it's read. Fan- it's fantastic. Oh, I need to pick fantastic. it up. Um, and, and those, or things like, uh, what Tim Sale and Jeff Loeb would do with Daredevil Yellow and things like that. Yes. The things that were just yes. standalone, uh, or even like Man Without Fear, but standalone stories that stripped away all the bullshit 
that you didn't need Jeff Johns sitting next to you to understand. And, uh, cause that's why to this day I have a hard time with DC Comics or with Jeff Johns. It's nothing against him. He's a fine writer, but I don't want to read my comic with Wikipedia next to me. And that's what Jeff Johns does. Well, but it's and, not what he did initially because if you go no. back and read Green Lantern Rebirth, you don't yes. have to know anything. It's genius. And, and, uh, his work on, uh, Flash. No, no, and it's good stuff. I just remember when Darkest Night happened. And, well, and, and you're right. He got so far up his ass in DC Comics continuity's ass yeah. that he lost what made him so special. I remember Darkest Night happens. There'd be like, I, I thought, oh, it's really cool. These guys come on zombies and all that stuff. And then I'd read the first issue. And I'm like, I, they're like, they'd have a money shot of someone coming out of the grave. I'm like, I don't know who that is. Yeah. You're, no, like, you're absolutely I don't, right. You know, I remember reading Identity Crisis going like, I don't, I don't know who Sue Dibney is. I'm sorry. To me. Um, I, I love yeah. that you, I love that you brought up Jeff Lev and Tim Sale because to me, their Batman stories, uh, Dark Victory and The Long Halloween yep. are so much more interesting and important than Dark Knight Returns, which is referenced so much more often than their stories are. Yeah, I like, I mean, I like them both, but yeah, I think that, that, that the comic books, one of the banes, and, and I think X-Men, to bring it back, is, is, one of the biggest offenders of it is getting so wrapped up in their own little world and their own continuity and their own history that they sometimes forget to tell compelling stories yeah and rely so much just on the past and uh and and, and I just remember there was just a point with X-Men where I just I couldn't read anymore I couldn't keep up I couldn't I didn't know who all these characters were anymore and I I wasn't like that said I wasn't willing to read every other side book to keep up and even then i was like there's other i have more important things to spend my energy on like star wars (laughs) things that matter you know things that matter and you know to memorize if i'm going to memorize useless history i'm going to memorize useless history in star wars not in the x-men and and that's what it came down to so i felt that it got very very convoluted there for a long time it, well, and it did. And what's interesting, and, and before we've got to move on to the media, but but real yep. quick before we do, uh, I do want to talk about Chris Claremont because he he had, in my mind, the most legendary run on a comic book ever with Uncanny X Men, and in that in that run, see, I I read so much of it as it was happening that I I cannot have an objective viewpoint on it, but. You know, a lot of people make fun of Chris Claremont for opening every single issue of Uncanny with, you know, my name is Cyclops. I have uh, laser beams that shoot out of my eyes. Unless I wear this ruby visor, I am rogue. And every time I touch someone, I absorb their powers. So I have to be very careful. You know, on the one hand, it's like, okay, that gets a little tedious after a while. But on the other hand, he did, even though he was telling this incredible overarching story that lasted for, you know, 100 issues plus, Every issue was an entry point. That issue that I bought took place in the middle of a five-issue storyline, and yet I understood, even as a young kid, what was happening, what was going on. Now, I don't feel like there are very many comics that you could just walk into a comic shop, pick up, and understand what's happening. And you're right, that's where X-Men have gotten very unwieldy, is that not only do you have the history of the franchise, but you've got... You know, whatever Marvel has decided to do to them now, uh, there's just too much to explain in 
an opening splash panel. And that again is what, one of the things that was so special about Uncanny. How do you guys yeah. feel about in general comic continuity and having those jumping on issues? Like Beth, if you were going to pick up a comic now and, and you're a smart lady. How I don't know about that. Uh, sorry. Sorry, what? You are. You're a smart, nerdy lady, but... I was subjecting to the lady part. What do you think? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but what do you think the chances are that you would be able to pick up a modern comic and, and get into it versus the stuff from back in the day? I don't know. I, I feel like some of the runs were, were better than others. Some of the titles were better than others with that. Um Chris Claremont is a name I actually know, uh, unlike a lot of the other names. Um, <laughs> you know, he did uh, the Hellfire Club as as recognizable as the Hellfire Club, and he did Days of Future Past and all all that stuff that I really really liked. Wolverine um, in Japan, I love that. <laughs> except yeah, for a ahead. movie of it. Um, I, d- I disagree, but go ahead. We'll get there. Okay. <laughs> I feel like going back and picking up comics now, they do make it more accessible, but that's, I think, partially a a money thing because they want you to be able to pick up and, and read any comic and buy any comic now. Um, you can pick up Walking Dead and jump right into it now. Don't. But you can. Sorry, sorry, keep going. Yeah, start from the beginning. If you're going to do it, do it right. <laughs> I, I just recommend not. Re- okay, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no! Oh, that's a whole yeah. other episode. Yeah, I gave up. <laughs> I gave up. Go ahead. Okay, sorry. I'm still reading, but um. No, it's fine. Everyone has. You know, I. Thanks. <laughs> go ahead. I I was already reading the X Men, so I I can't really say how I could jump in or out of it back then because I already kind of knew what was going on, but I, I do feel like they make it easier now to jump in because I couldn't go pick up those tertiary issues of Excalibur or X-Force or any of those and Alpha know Flight. what was happening. You you would have to already have a basis. You couldn't skip a couple episodes or a couple issues and, and jump back in and expect to know what was happening. Interesting. What about Chad? What, what is your perspective now? Because you're uh, you're still currently reading a decent amount of stuff, correct? Uh, a, a, a decent amount, not as much as I was a few years ago. Uh, I've kind of toned back. I, half of my pull box is, is the new Marvel Star Wars titles, uh, which we'll talk about later. Uh, as well, fantastic. it should be. Yeah, uh, but I admit that I'm a sucker, though. Uh, as much as I despise whenever DC does a new reboot of everything, um, I still know that. I'm going to probably buy Batman number one after Rebirth, and I bought Batman number one. I started reading Batman again after New 52 because I love Batman and I want to read a good Batman book. Sure. Uh, unfortunately, we're not getting one right now. But nope. the, 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 the jumping on – comic continuity is both a blessing and a curse. You know, It's what kind of brings the community together. It gives you that feeling of a shared history. That you will have together, you know, like we're talking about, oh, Inferno, you know, um, and people want to, it's not a, it's a generalization about the geek community, but it's true. 
people want to feel like, and I felt this when you know Disney said we're throwing out the expanded universe, is you want to feel like this stuff that you love and spend so much time on matters and and and, and counts. You know, and so when they retcon things and go, oh, that that never happened. Yeah. That that every story is someone's favorite story, and, and it's offensive when you're told, "Oh well, that thing no. you love doesn't didn't happen." And I, I kind of want to go back and re-interview Timothy Zahn at this point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I know God. exactly. Oh, exactly. speaking of which, I'm reading the choice of one right now and, and thoroughly enjoying it. Ah. Uh, yeah, it wasn't bad. Yeah, they they think that I, I just think that there's a sense that now listen, but but at the end of the day, all of it's made up, right? right. And so. It is inherently silly to be upset that this current comic doesn't acknowledge this previous comic because none of it makes sense. It's all made up, and you still have that old comic to read. But I do understand the inclination. I do understand that feeling. I get it too, especially with Star Wars. I get that that sense of continuity mattering. But as DC has proven multiple times, it can weigh you down. And it can handcuff your creators. It can weigh you down, but here's the thing. And, and when, and, and this is nothing to do with X-Men, but, you know, we do have to discuss it a bit. Uh, you mentioned Earth One. Yeah. If, when DC rebooted into the new 52, if they had just done something like Batman Earth One with Batman, I would have been able to accept it. Much more than their wishy-washy, well, some of the stuff still counts, some of yes. it doesn't, we don't really know, but it's all happened in five years. If they had just done a hard reboot and said, look, this is the status quo now, this is how we're establishing these characters, and now it's time to move on with a fresh continuity, like the Ultimate Universe, uh, that would have been much easier to palate. Uh, pal- that, I don't think I use that word properly. Much easier to stomach than what they did. But we're not here to talk about DC. We're here to talk about X-Men. I think we've talked anyway, about... Anyway, so Batman no, versus Van Donner. No, psych- <laughs> no psychotic work. Uh, so we've got to move on now to the X-Men media. I want to briefly touch on the cartoon because, to me, the X-Men animated series is a critical part of the history of the X-Men because I feel it's part of the reason why the X-Men are such a big deal now. Because a, gener- a generation behind us, that's the X-Men they know, and that adapted all of these Claremont stories that we grew up with and know and love. Uh, it's a little rough in retrospect, but I can still watch them. Uh, they're still entertaining. A lot of the voice work is is a little dodgy, but... For a cartoon of the 90s that was trying to do something different from Batman the Animated Series while still... I think so influenced by it or inspired by it. Well, and it is because they clearly... Batman the Animated Series made it okay to make things comic booky rather than making them purely an advertisement for toys. And or to go overly dark with it. Yes, and X-Men uh, did the same thing in an entirely different way. And I have to give so much respect to that cartoon for taking these incredible convoluted storylines and breaking them down into something that, you know, I I was a teenager when I was watching the show and I enjoyed it, 
but I know lots of people 10 years or less, you know, 10 years or more younger than me that grew up with that and love that cartoon and cherish that cartoon. And that was their entry point into the X-Men. So we've got to give it credit, you know, rough, rough, uh, spots aside, it is a shining moment of nineties nerd culture. To be fair, it also sold a lot of toys. Oh, it sold a shit ton. I mean, it put Toy Biz <laughs> yeah. on the map. Yeah. It's where Marvel I Legends came I love, from. I, I really, I, I make fun of it, but because it was so 90s and so very early 90s. Yeah. But, I, I mean, that was my ringtone. The opening theme song, theme song was my ringtone for like five years. <laughs> Nerd. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I watched... A lot of it, but I did watch plenty, and it was that thing where I think I was more into the Batman the Animated Series. But it was, uh, but I do remember it being entertaining. And I, I and you're right though, for a lot of people, that is their first X Men experience, and it may be their only X Men experience. You know, when you're a kid growing up, I, I mean, I'm sure my man, my first Batman experience was probably Super Friends. Sure, right. And and if I had never read another comic, that would be my. You know, that was my introduction to Batman. Well, super, super Friends or the the Adam West show. Yeah, but see, I was I'm too young to have been watching the Adam West show when it was on. And well, but it was in syndication for years. It, that, that it was. It was my first Batman was the Adam West show. Yes, mine was definitely Super Friends in in syndication, and and I didn't come to anything else till later because when I had the Mego Batman and Robin figures, it was Adam West and Burt Ward. Yeah. Even though that's not what they were to me, you know, to three year old me or whatever, that that's the Batman I was looking yeah. at. So yeah, I think you're right. I think there's a whole generation of people who both hardcore fans now, but also just casual fans or just kids who were just watching whatever cartoon was on. Right. That that X Men was their, you know, that was their gate. That's that is their X Men. And. Out. uh and, and it took some of those really convoluted storylines and made them accessible to people who didn't know what the hell was going on. Right. And, well, and that's the thing is is even reading the issues from Claremont, sometimes you get lost. Even right there in the thick of it, you're like, eh, wait a minute, what? what is – who's that? What's happening? What's the phalanx? <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. Who's this Cameron Hodge fellow? <laughs> uh, and and they, they did. They They condensed it all down into uh, kind of the best version of all of it, which is what Batman the Animated Series was. I mean, that to me, Batman the Animated, Animated Series is Batman in his purest form. That is the very best Batman we will ever get. Uh, but, so, X-Men, uh, boy, how much do we love Batman that we just keep <laughs> getting back to Batman? Well, the he's, in the, he's in the news. So. Yeah, hey, good point, good point. Uh, yeah. So the X-Men, we have the animated series, and then in a seemingly miraculous turn of events and, and largely inspired by the success of the Blade movie, yep. we have an X-Men feature film from the guy that directed The Usual Suspects. What the fuck is going on? I know. People uh, forget this movie. It was the first X Men's a very important movie in this whole comic book boom. Yes, it's a huge movie in that. And, well, people people forget it, but but more so, and that's why I had to mention Blade. Is people forget Blade? No, I know. Yeah, no, Blade uh, was the first step. 
Yep. But yes, X Men. Even if happened. you want to, you can't forget. Oh come on! Nobody wants to forget Blade. The first, that first well, Blade maybe was the second one. Fantastic. Oh, I love. No, I oh, love no, the Blade second too. one's. Fan- I love Blade I, too. Well, That's honestly, Guillermo del Toro and his batshit crazy. I know. Uh, I, I know. I'm I actually lose... like the third one better. The third one at least had Triple H and Ryan Reynolds. Oh, I was gonna say. I bet I'm gonna lose both of you when I say I love Blade Trinity as well. But to me, Blade Trinity is uh, just another Deadpool prequel. See, I don't give a shit about the character, so I just like the action in the second one. Yeah, I don't one. either. So I just like the fact – I just love the filmmaking and the action. Oh, yeah. In the yeah, well, and that's, that's the thing is like, you know, Wesley Snipes does a fine job. But <laughs> when people think about any of the three Blade movies, they are thinking about the action and what happened and like – the the well, movie itself. The story. Nobody is thinking like, man, I sure do love Wesley Snipes. <laughs> uh, you know, and and granted, always bet on black. But that's what you think about when you think about Demolition Man. However, yes, it is. Oh my god, is. I love Wesley Snipes. Yes. despite how racist he is in that movie. Yeah, that's well, you know, it's him doing it. So what are you going to do? So yeah, we get X Men from Brian Singer, and yep. you know, when it came out, it was a revolution. I went to the theater, and you know, I. I ha- as a giant fanboy and as somebody who and, and to this day I would never claim to understand the language of of cinematic storytelling but as somebody who understood it even less so back then I was irritated that they had these black costumes uh but I felt like they nailed the characters I really enjoyed the story and more than anything you had Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart being absolutely phenomenal because Patrick Stewart had, of course, been the the fanboy wet dream casting for Professor X for, for years. years. Yeah, uh, you know, Wizard Magazine it did their one of their little fantasy casting things, and it was it was Patrick Stewart, of course, and it was one of those things where you never thought it would happen, and it happened. But Hugh Jackman, I was furious when he was cast as Wolverine, because he is not five foot, <laughs> five foot it, three. Did you want it to be Danzig? No, I didn't want it to be Danzig, because that's <laughs> stupid. But uh, I... I hey, Danzig really wanted it to be Danzig. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then Hugh Jackman turned out to be fantastic, and, uh, you know, within the first 20 minutes of the movie, I didn't give a shit how tall he was. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, I going even going back... I still am irritated by the leather costumes, but overall, that didn't bother me. Uh, it, it bothered the shit out of me, uh, and and now I get it, but I still feel like they could have done better. But overall, that is still a fantastic X Men movie. It it conveys everything that an X Men movie needs to convey. What what about you guys? How do you feel? Um, I had. Uh, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Okay. I was going to be a big oh, damn, Beth. again. Beth. <laughs> Come on, Tell moderate. Beth. You're going to have to control the class. <laughs> yes. I was already a big fan of Famke Jansen uh, just because I really liked Deep Rising. Oh, and I yes. love, I love a terrible disaster kind of movie, mm-hmm. and that's one of the best ones. Um, Halle Berry was the thing that annoyed me the most going into it, though, because I knew in no way, shape, or form was she Storm. Yeah. And And to this day... She needed to go away. Go ahead and tell us. We, we will all agree on this. Who should have been Storm? Angela Bassett from yes. day one. Thank you very much. I thought that was like a given. Yes. Angela Bassett brings the thunder in her daily life, so I can pretty much say <laughs> <laughs> uh, James Marsden, I didn't know who he was, and 
I was I never a Cyclops uh, fan. Well, he disturbing was behavior. Disturbing behavior he was in. That's the only thing I knew. Uh, but, but he was Cyclops is a bland, milky toast guy. Oh, yeah. And that's what he played. And he was playing. And what's funny is Marsden has been absolutely fantastic in other things. So we I love see him in 30 Rock. That he, yes, yes, absolutely. He's, I mean, he's been great in a number of things. So we see that it's not. He's fantastic he's, in X-Men 3. Oh, hold on. Oh, <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Sit, sit on that for a minute. <laughs> um, I I liked Rebecca Romain okay as Mystique. She didn't really fit to me. She wasn't quite badass enough. Um, See, at that point in my life, I don't think Mystique was badass to me because I and I don't know when Brian K. Vaughn's Mystique series happened. I know I didn't come to it until much later, uh, but at that point. Mystique, yes, she was a, a mutant terrorist, but to me, the the character as she was portrayed in the movie was was lined up okay with what I'd seen in the comics. I, you know, I don't know why they gave her lizard skin other than the the whole naked her, thing. Look, thing. I appreciate a blue naked lady as much as anybody else, <laughs> but I'm still confused by that decision. Uh, a lot of mine were more minor character issues, like Sabretooth wasn't; he was just a thug and. And Iceman should have been a bigger smartass. And, and minor character gripes like that overall, though, I thought as a movie, it was a great in- introduction for the X-Men cinematic universe, since they don't fit into the Marvel portion of it. Which they never should, in my opinion, but yeah. we'll... They're two very distinct. I, I, don't need, I don't need that many crossovers. They cross yeah, over enough right. in comics. I don't need it in movies. Chad, what about you? What was your impression the first time around? I had, I don't know, I had been in L.A. for less than a year, I guess, when that came out, and I went with my roommate Colleen, and we were stunned that it was good. It was kind of like I went to see it out of obligation right? in a lot of ways because they're making an X-Men movie, and I knew a little bit from the, you know, the Dugray Scott, you know, uh, drama, how he was supposed to be Wolverine, and yes. then production ran over on Mission Impossible 2, and he couldn't do it, and we know who won in that situation uh both because not only was x-men good but mission possible 2 was garbage and they and i remember watching it going like okay okay this this is all right and then when they bring in in hugh jackman i agree with you he's a little too tall that never even occurred to me watching the movie and um i thought he was great and you know i was a little iffy on anna paquin's accent um which she would so then go she. to use, yeah, exactly. Which she would then go on to use for you know six, seven, six seasons of a television show, <laughs> right? Um, uh, and but I remember thinking I didn't mind the lack of costumes because one, I think I was still, I mean, I was like what twenty four. I was still in that mindset of like that the costumes were dorky, and that that I, I was probably what we were talking about, kind of that like it's not serious enough. Well, type of mentality I, we were talking about. I, I think never, I carried that into that movie. And, and to be clear, I never wanted like Wolverine's spandex. yellow spandex, but I thought there could be a happier medium than here are some black leather bodysuits because black leather is tough and we do yeah. tough things in black leather. But it also how are you going to explain how they get these costumes that are that are sense. fantastical? Well, that's the thing you don't have to. Uh, we we have since learned. That 
since, yes, with but people, not then. Well, not you're then. right. At the time, we did not know this, but we've since learned that people will just accept things because I, I – look. well, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, I, I agree We're that, talking about uh, 16 years in the past. Yeah, I mean that's the thing about it too is that it was um, after – you know, people younger will forget this. This was in the wake of Batman and Robin. Oh, and, you're right. And, and, and kind of what looked – I mean we got that – and, you know, looking back on the Burton movies, they weren't great, but we got that little jump start in 89 of the superhero movie. And then Schumacher and the, the folks in Warner Bros. destroyed it. Yeah. And we weren't sure it was ever coming back, at least not in a legitimate way. And then Blade happened, you know, and, and comic book movies became that thing where, just like video game movies are now, where they were going to suck. You just assumed they were right, going to suck. Right. And, um, I, I remember Blade being not a huge fan of it, but decent movie and it, and it, and it, it did well. And then with X-Men, it was, I had very little expectations. I had no, it came out with very little fanfare and it just kind of happened. And I think I saw it a few days out. I think it was, it was the day it opened, but it was kind of like we were sitting at our house unemployed and bored. And <laughs> I was like, didn't that X-Men movie come out today? And she's like, yeah, I guess it's playing close well, let's go see it and uh so i we went and saw it and i just i really enjoyed it uh i you know looking back on it i think the story is a a little weak um the the finale you can you can tell they didn't have as much money as they wanted yeah uh, you get to the finale i did i i agree with beth that Sabretooth being treated as just another thug and being killed off was a mistake um uh halle berry was she was not great well there's um, no there's no saying Sabretooth was killed off though no, but he never within, showed up in another well, post within, that movie. Within the context of that movie. He seemed to be killed off. No, um, no, no. I don't, I don't feel that he did because, I mean, we know he's regenerative like Wolverine is. Um, I, but I, he I, never came back, so it felt and like – And now that the timeline is reset, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter. Because they can bring it back whenever they want. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Let's uh, – but I, but I enjoyed the movie. Um, I think that it, it showed a lot of promise. I don't 100% know if it was setting up a cinematic universe. I don't uh, think so. Just, it was just I trying to so. get a movie made. You yeah. know, at that point, it was just, let's just get a movie made. And then it did well enough, so they're like, okay, go make a sequel. Well, even, but, even at that point, because this is, we're talking about 2000, and even at that point, things were not being made to be franchises like they are now. And I, no. I certainly don't think X-Men – I think that was basically we have this guy who made this very successful movie uh, and then there's Blade that did really well. So we're going to take another comic book thing and give it to this guy and maybe we'll make some money. I, I, there, I, I don't think there was any thought of, oh, this franchise could continue on for the next two well, decades. People forget that the franchise is kind of a new idea. I yes. mean it's not a new idea if you consider Star Wars, but a sequel used to be – if a movie did really well, then they go, "Hey, make a let's make a sequel." Right. It wasn't now, now a pre-planned a thing. Right. Well, now it's not a, a foregone movie, conclusion, but it's a plan every single time. It's a plan, and it, and it's it's sometimes they greenlight it after the movie's been out for three days. They say, "Hey, there's a sequel coming," or even before there's a sequel coming. I mean, we knew they were making Captain America three before Captain America two came out. Yeah, and. It's all part of this grand plan, and, and it's another whole another podcast to argue the the merits and demerits of that strategy. Well, and that's both. But with X Men One, it was just a movie. Yes, and uh, and for what it was, it was a solid movie that got enough of the X Men right, 
and was also a decently well-told movie that I, I really enjoyed it. And that is uh, Sequel Talk is an excellent excellent segue to move on to X-Men 2, which is, you know, no. at the time, we didn't even know if that would happen or not. But uh, before we get to that, let's take a five-minute break. A word from your sponsor? Yes. Oh, I... I already went to pee while you guys were talking about DC. Oh, you're such a smart I, lady. I just we'll, put uh, you on mute. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll be back in uh, be back in five. Okay. Okay. Right. I don't know wrestling. I don't X, know wrestling. X two, which is a terrible, terrible title for a movie. I want to talk about the title for. a That's second. what Fox does. <laughs> I want to talk about the title for. Let's do it. Okay. X two mutants, mutants everywhere. X two X Men United is the title for this movie. Yes. Um, in 1996, we had a big ass movie called Independence Day. Sure, it made a uh, hundred million dollars in eight days, which at that time was a record. Now that seems quaint, but it it was a record at the point. It was the first, it was the fastest movie to a hundred million dollars at that point. Yes. And what did we call that movie eventually? Uh, ID Four. Yeah. Right. Did it? Eventually became as ID Four. When the when the when the VHS came out, that's what was on the front. It was still called Independence Day. That's still the name of the movie, but it was referred. You would, you know, because Independence Day was referred to as ID Four. Well, no, That's, no, no. It's not even I referring. Don't... If you go back and look at the uh, the VHS cover, it was ID Four. Now it said Independence yeah, I mean, Day. The like, title the still says it on the movie, right? The movie but, itself still says Independence Day. But that was and if, yes. And if, but then it also happened with Men in Black, where it became MIB, and so all the posters were MIB Two. Oh my yeah. gosh! Wait, wait, wait. Go further back to Terminator Two, though. T2, right, Ooh, T2. There yeah. you go. Right, right. And the full title of that movie is Terminator 2 Judgment Day? Or is it T2 Judgment Day? Uh, it's Terminator, Terminator 2, 2 Judgment Day, right, but right. yes, very often. And, we and call again, it, on and packaging, day, T2. You call it T2. And to this day, if you're call, talking about in conversation, you're probably, if someone, someone and you're on the same wavelength, you're going to call it T2 and you're going to know what they're talking about. Right. X2 X Men United <laughs> was the. Was the first time I can recall, and it's maybe not true, where the abbreviation became the title. Right. You know, where they were like, it, there's a very good chance that we would call that movie X2 at some point, right, in the future. You know, like now, if it had been just called X-Men 2. Right. But to, to go ahead and preemptively give it an abbreviation and make that stupid, awkward title out of it, and then not only have X2 – which implies X-Men 2, but then to repeat the word X-Men again in the title. <laughs> right? and, and, and at the same time, what's United? It's not. The X-Men no, are already they're, they're not. They're, they're not at all United. There's, I mean, the first one can be called X-Men United because it's at least like the team coming right, together. Come together. But in the second one, it is literally talking about the division between mutants. It means nothing. And it, and it, it would have been so – and listen, I, I know it gets boring putting just a two, you know, calling everything two, and I get that, and, and I love it when they find creative ways to do that. But calling it X-Men 2 would have been fine, but they just decided to go – I don't know if they thought it was cool because everyone said things like T2 and MIB well, 94. Well, that's what it was. It's all marketing. It was all marketing. But you know what? Now that I've said, you know what? Now that I've said that, though, it is it X Men United actually would have been a much better title overall because it is, you know, in in the end, Magneto. Which yeah, that Magneto's Prison Break, one of my favorite superhero movie scenes ever. 
Well, you're skipping ahead because it opens up. That movie opens up with one of my favorite. Well, and I am skipping ahead, but we, you know, yeah. there we're, we're yeah. gonna we're gonna kind of hit some highlights. But what yeah. is your favorite? Uh, well, at least as far as early on is Nightcrawler's Attack on the White House. Oh, yeah. fantastic! Because one budget, one budget, <laughs> budget. <laughs> two the money. Uh, I love Nightcrawler as a kid, and the. As, as any comic book fan knows, there are two noises in the X-Men universe that we have read for years and years and years. They're Snicked. Snicked and Bamf. Bamf. And somehow, they, <laughs> they, that when, as soon as he teleported, I go, that's Bamf. Yeah. Like it just works. Yeah, it I don't totally was. Know. It was Bamf. It was just like, I could smell the sulfur. You know, it was like, <laughs> Bamf. And, I, and it was so, but it was so dynamic. And the way he was doing it and the way he was using his teleport teleporting abilities to fight, not just to, like, get, escape or get from places, but to use it to, like, jump in the air and then appear close to somebody and hit them um, in the kind of a way that Ant-Man did in the new Ant-Man movie. Um, that, I thought, was amazing. And like you said, yeah, it felt like a higher budget. It felt like the movie was going for something bigger. And I thought he looked great. And, and the, the effects were fantastic. It just I was just like... Okay, now we're in an X Men. Now, okay, all right, here we go. Well, you know, and, like, and you know what? Actually, sorry, that was actually so good that when I saw Days of Future Past and they did the thing with Blink, making her little teleportation portals around yeah. people, I was like, yeah, that's not as good as Nightcrawler. Um, no, because it's not as cool of a character. But you know. this... no, it wasn't even the character. It was just that it, it just wasn't as cool. I've seen it before, and it was better done. Well, Days yeah. of Future Past was fucking awful, but we'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> um, uh, you know, X Men Two actually is full of iconic, amazing scenes because we also get Wolverine. Even though it's a PG thirteen movie, Wolverine gets to cut loose and Final. murder yes. lots of people in a very creatively shot way, where you're getting every bit of his violent, animalistic nature, but it's not gory. Oh, when he drills that dude into the fridge? Yes. Well, that and then through <laughs> that the moment foot, you're like, fucking finally. He's you know? just taking out tons of Stryker's men. Yeah. In in ways, it's it's kind of like the Hitchcock thing of what you're – because we don't realize we're not seeing the violence. The right. way that it's shot, we know he's absolutely destroying these people, but it's not graphic. It's not gory, but it's happening. And it is it – is, uh, at that point, the best Wolverine that we've gotten, and it and it plays well in the movie without going back to Wolverine's kind of savage bad guy root, yes. roots. Yes, it played because he's protecting the school and these kids. Right, it's time so, for me to unleash so it, what I am, but for a good reason. For a good reason, it's not just he's some crazy mercenary or that he's just a, a wild animal. Right. Um. It it. It works for the story. It works in the moment, and you want him to kill these fuckers because they're coming for the kids. Right, exactly. And so it, it really, really works. And yeah. when Colossus right. powers up, how fucking cool is that? Yeah, not the best Colossus we've seen, however. It's not, yeah. but at the well, time, he's doing the real person. at the time, just, once again, budget. It was like, holy shit, that dude is Colossus. Yes, he does not have an incredible Russian accent like the Colossus of Deadpool. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, Deadpool. <laughs> <laughs> that pulls my Colossus right now. Oh, for but. sure, for sure. But uh, but at the time, uh, you know, guy did a good job. Effects looked great, and we got yeah. you know yeah. a, as good a Colossus. And it was fucking Colossus. Yes, we didn't. And, hey, they, they liked that guy so much they offered that guy the job in Deadpool. Oh, did they really? Yeah, yeah. and he turned it down for some reason. Yeah, I mean that's the thing, and we 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 were talking about this way before the show, and a little bit 
about Batman Superman and the idea that like at that point it was good, but also we were seeing Colossus live action. Yes. Which is something, you know, every time in part of this whole comic book movie renaissance or whatever you want to call it, it's not even a renaissance anymore. It's just the state of being of the world. But is that the long-term fans, you know, we're seeing things put on screen we never thought we would ever see. Yes. Live action. You know, I mean, people point out Rocket Raccoon, and that's obviously a big one. You know, but even even the little things throughout, throughout you know, I've finally seen a good Punisher. I've finally seen um, – <laughs> Uh, you know the fact that that the that they end the Avengers and the bad guy is Thanos. You're like, we're gonna see Thanos in a fucking live action movie, and like, maybe someday you'll get to see a good Fantastic Four movie. Yeah, I, I doubt that. Not, I'm did. not gonna hold my breath on that one. It was called the it <laughs> was called the Incredibles, and you should just be thankful that you have it. But uh, yeah. the um, that is the best Fantastic Four movie that will ever be made. But it, it just, but yes, just just seeing Colossus, just seeing some of these other X Men. Um, that we hadn't seen, that you've never seen live action. Just any of them. The first time Wolverine pops his claws in the first movie, and she asks him if it hurts, and he says every time. I remember oh. thinking like, that's pretty tough. That's pretty yeah. good. And 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 yeah, in this movie, just seeing Colossus was enough, you know. And and he was cool, and it worked. But there was also that joy of just seeing that thing you like, you know. Well, what was to me what was so successful about the second one was that. It did build upon the story of the first one, but it also was like, all right, you guys, we made a lot of money last time. We can do, we can do what we want this time and we're going to give you all the cool mutant shit that you want to see. Uh, which is to me, Magneto jailbreak. Uh, holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And, and the other, the other cool thing about that scene is the release of getting to cheer for that cool bad guy. Because, uh, like you said with Wolverine, he's doing it for the kids. This time, Magneto, we got to bust him out because he's he's the guy. He's got to save the day. And granted, in the end, we get the freaking awesome, sick ass turn. But uh, you know, when Magneto's getting busted out of jail, you want him out of jail. He's not the bad guy at that point, and you get to see his awesome powers being used and not feel bad about digging it. You know. Well, that also goes back to something we didn't mention in the first movie, which was the very opening, which was Magneto in the concentration camp. Yes. That, yes. that, that firmly grounded the first movie in a reality, uh, in, in our reality, right? The X-Men are supposed to kind of exist in our world and in, right. in, in these movies. And, and so that really grounded it. And then, so, so then it makes Magneto as evil as he is. Although I actually know, not, I take that wrong. He's not evil. He's not evil. Um, he's not evil. Yeah. But, but takes Magneto and it makes him, more sympathetic and more, you know, like you want to cheer for him a little bit more because you know where he's coming from, right? And and you you can't promise that you can't you can't uh, be sure that you wouldn't have gone the same way. Well, and, one, one of my favorite things that's ever happened in an X Men comic was Quentin Quire's Magneto was right shirt. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I yeah. mean that that sums up so much about that character because. Well, the best- you know, it's it's almost funny to look back at them being the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants because Magneto is not evil. Magneto no. may not even be wrong. Uh, no, I always thought evil. I always thought him and Professor X were Martin and Malcolm. Yes. Yeah. Well, and that, it is too. Professor X and, is Martin, and that was the intention. Magneto is 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 is, Mar- is, that was, is Malcolm. He's uh, he's the any means necessary. Yeah. And that was one hundred percent the intention. 
So yeah. I mean that's that's there. So yeah. we got to uh, we got to keep going because we're yep. we're up over an hour and we've oh we get to get more get to the highlight. We we've got oh, to get wait. to the best X Men movie ever, uh, X Men yes. Three: The Last Stand, uh, directed uh-huh. by the the fantastically talented Brett Ratner of Russian uh-huh. horror fame. Uh-huh. Uh, you know what? I, I don't need to talk about this one. I don't I don't hate it. Uh, I do for. I, I hate it, and I, I hate it because I wanted it to be the Dark Phoenix story, and oh, well. it wasn't. Sorry. I, here, well, let's, real quick, real quick, uh, let's just, a, a couple of points. Uh, Ellen Page's Kitty Pride was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think I'm done, you guys. <laughs> Here's my, my big, my, if my three is a terrible movie. And I have people that defend it, and you know, because they just like it because as an action movie. I can, right, yes, and I can sit there and it like me in my sit back and be entertained way. Yeah, I can sit back and just enjoy it for what it is. Uh, there are things that are horrible, like Professor X dying is really stupid in the way he dies. And Cyclops really dying off. And Cyclops, even. yeah, it's it's all it's all very insulting. But but here's what drives me nuts in in this season. One thing that the first two X Men had, and and I talks about this, but it's 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 a real thing whether you want to admit it or not, is that the first two X Men were directed by a, a, a gay man, right? I did and not even know that. Brian Singer is a gay man, I am and so not wait, even kidding. Okay, so he. What he brings to that, and, and there's a, a famous scene in X-Men 2 that is way over the top and on the nose, but it is a scene, the scene where Iceman comes out to his parents. Sure. Right? Yeah. Which sure. is the direct, like, almost two-on-the-nose version of a kid coming out as gay. And a month from now, we'll be talking about that with Buffy. And, exactly. <laughs> and what X-Men... If we're lucky. And what... <laughs> right. If we, if we what, can all watch that fast. And while the X-Men were created as a... um. Uh, a, a, an allegory for the civil rights movement. You have someone directing those first two movies. The the X Men are not gay, but you have someone who has that. Well, they're an allegory. They're an allegory, right? And, and to have an someone allegory for for any kind of outsider discrimination. Yes. or discrimination. Yes, and to have someone who is part of one of those groups directing those movies, even though it's not explicitly on screen, except for that one scene, it motivates. It, it informs how he makes these movies. Brett Ratner is a man who, and you can tell a lot by a man on this, his dream project, the movie he's always wanted to make, is a biopic of Hugh Hefner. Ew. That's icky. So whatever you think about Hugh Hefner, still, you can tell what kind of man he is. And I think what happens with Brett Ratner is he gets X-Men 3 because Fox gets pissed off because Singer wants to go make Superman. And so he gets pissed. They get pissed off, and they get Brett Ratner. And what Ratner sees in the first two movies is he sees the look of them, he sees the action, but he doesn't understand anything that lies underneath. Right. And so you, what you get in that movie is all surface, and it's all surface. It's bad surface, but it's just all surface. It still looks like the other movies, kinda, and it still has a little bit of the feel to it, but it it misses everything that makes the other movies resonate. And it, in exchange, it gives us "I'm the Juggernaut, bitch," you know, oh. which it, it gives us a little misogyny. It gives us I love horrible Vinnie, treatment of characters. I love Vinnie Jones, but that Juggernaut was horrible. And it yeah. gives us this treatment of these characters, 
where you know, and, and it's and the problem is you see the corporate strings, right? Uh, uh, James Marsden was going to go do Superman, so they're like, "Fuck you, we'll kill you off then." Right, right, and then. Uh, and, and off screen to the point where at the end of the movie, Gene goes, I think I killed Scott. You think you killed Scott? Right. Yeah, you don't know. The we would have liked your to life. have seen that. We would have liked to have seen that. Yeah. Uh, the two things I, did, I do like Ellen Page in it, and I do, I did like, I will admit, I think it was cool visually when Wolverine's trying to get to Gene. Yes. She's totally freaking out, yes. and her, his flesh is melting away. Yes. And he, like, I thought that was really well done and deserved to be in a better version of the Dark Phoenix saga. But you're right. The second one ended with this tease, right? Dark Phoenix is coming. Right. And we get X-Men 3, and it, they just blew it. it well, and just, she's she's well, not I, even motivated by herself in the third movie. No, movie. she's not Dark it, Phoenix. She's just a puppet. Right. No, but that's what they're trying to do. They're, they are doing their version of the Dark Phoenix yeah, saga. And it's, and, it's, and it's rotten, and let's, let's, let's yeah. just move it's, on it's, from it's, this one. It's a horrible because, movie, and, and I, though I do recommend going back and watching the end the last like 20 minutes because when they set see the, the siege begins, it's daylight. And then in the next shot, it's nighttime. <laughs> and it, the, just the filmmaking is just so shoddy in the entire oh. thing. I know, you know, from the maker of rush hour three, how can the filmmaking be shoddy, but it's really shoddy. It's really, I, I will say my, my highlight of the movie was Kelsey Grammer. Yes. Yeah. Cause I really yeah, he thought he was fantastic as, as an older kind of, and you're right. You're right. You're totally right. He was awesome. There was some. There was some really good casting in that movie, yeah, um, except for Vinny. But we not bits. Well, and, and you know what? Vinny Jones even could have been good if it had been a giant CG juggernaut and not just Vinny Jones in some kind of weird bondage gear. I yeah. I don't oh, think and wussiest angel ever. And he's a pretty. Uh, let's not even get into that. No, I, let's I'm let's move on. I'm, just, I'm such a Warren Worthington fan. That tell me, I, I forgot he was in the movie. Guy. Please, please tell me that our next entry is not X Men Origins Wolverine. Is that what's it next? Is. That's next. The uh, all right. X Men Origins Wolverine is our next stop on this crazy misery mutant train. Uh, that, which is not all miserable. That's not fair. But man, just this is the low about, point. Yeah, talking about origins makes me sad. It's still, uh, it's 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 the low. It, is it the low point though? Is it really any worse than X Men Three? Yes, yes, oh, yes. absolutely. Until yes. Fans Four Stick came out, uh, Origins was the worst superhero or comic book adaptation. I uh, personally, in my opinion, that I had seen. I mean, I it's terrible. I'm I'm but not I'm not arguing that. Yeah, yeah I, I mean. You know the Roger Corman stuff and the Captain America. I mean that's that the stuff from the '90s that never actually got out. Well, you know, Captain I mean, America did get a theatrical release, but oh, it did. I it look horrible. at it. I look at it differently because I feel like its heart was in the right place. Its budget just wasn't. Yeah, it definitely didn't have a budget. Whereas Origins is just a fucking hot dumpster fire. <laughs> Origins is a nightmare from top to bottom. The director got kicked out of the editing room. The uh, not that his movie would have been any good. Yeah, the, right. Uh, an early work print of the movie got released online. And it's still terrible. And it was awful. And then, <laughs> then we saw the real movie and we we're like, I don't know. The studio didn't fuck you any more than you fucked yourself. Well, I'll um, tell you this okay, right now. There, yeah. Oh, go ahead, Beth. There were, there were like three good things that came of that movie. Ryan Reynolds got to be Deadpool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to see mutants that I didn't get to see in other movies, even though Gambit was terrible. Um, and I really thought Leo Shriver was not bad for Sabretooth. He was just, that was just a terrible movie. 
No, he was. I liked Leah Shriver in general. And, so. and I, ha- I have to agree. Even as mad as I was that they replaced Tyler Maine, uh, you're right. Leah Schreiber was really good. And I, you the, know, I actually the, didn't even mind Blob. The best thing that, that came out that of that movie. The one that I was talking about. The best thing that came out of that movie by far is any joke in Deadpool. <laughs> yes, it, yes, or the jokes. Yeah. In Deadpool. Correct. <laughs> I mean, the fact that we got dead the bliss that is Deadpool. Yes. Um. If, if this movie had anything to do with it, it almost made sure we never had anything, never got it. But since we did, you know, we can at least thank it for, for that. Um, yes. But and, uh, it's just, it's not even, it's, it's barely worth talking about. It's just such an awful film that they just, they didn't know what they were doing at all. Which is why we're going to go ahead and move on to, yeah. <laughs> uh, now what came next? First class or the Wolverine? First class. First, first class, class was next, which I yes. adore first class, uh, but, I'm a huge mark for Matthew Vaughn. I slobber over pretty much everything he does. Stardust. Uh, I am kind of the opposite. Stardust. So it's interesting. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, I'm not a huge fan. Oh, I love him. I love him. He everything. Uh, Kickass, Stardust, um, uh, Kingsman, all, all that stuff, man. Oh, every, every bit of it. Don't get I me just, started on Kingsman. Every bit of it, I just love it. Everything he's um, done. Now, that's not to say he's flawless, but so far, I have not seen things that I thought were flawed. What so? What about first class for you guys? I oh, and I hated uh, what's her face as Emma. I thought that was terrible. That that well, was the most upsetting thing to me was that I really wanted a good Hellfire Club, and Kevin Bacon and what's her face from Mad Men were not a good Hellfire. Oh, club. see, I thought Kevin Bacon was fine because Sebastian Shaw. I mean, I've I've read those comics, but but I'll be honest, he's not a character that. I felt, oh, he has to be this way. It was kind of like, yeah, this is a good character to take and, and kind of adapt to what you need to do with him. And I thought they used his powers in a very interesting way. I thought Kevin Bacon was really fun, uh, as opposed to January Jones, who was just like a blank slate through the whole thing. Yeah, but isn't she kind of always? I don't know. I'm not familiar with her. Well, she's she's good on Mad Men, but part of what was good about her on Mad Men was that kind of blankness was part of the character. Oh, okay. Way. So she, they, she was utilized very well on Mad Men, um, but not in anything else to date, really. Well, you, you didn't know that that was just really her and, until yeah, you I saw mean, the X-Men movie and you were like, oh, that's just, that's just who she's she is. very cold and, you know, it, it for, not that Emma Frost shouldn't be cold, she should be cold, but she should also be able to deliver her lines like she's actually a human being. Right. Yeah. And she's visually perfect. Emma Frost should be delivering yeah. her lines the same way that, uh, shit, I can't remember the actor's name, the same way that Leonard Snart delivers his lines on <laughs> Flash and Legends of Tomorrow. There should just be a level, she should just be dripping with glibness or sarcasm yes. or, or just or i mean there was nothing evil about her there was nothing there was nothing cool about her there was no and personality she's supposed to, to be her. a really really powerful psychic and and yet she just she doesn't talk like she knows what you're really thinking she doesn't talk like she knows what's really going on and really about to happen she just kind of talks like hi i'm here in this scene now i'm just I'm supposed to interact with you all i'm yeah. saying is wentworth miller would have been a much better emma, emma frost that's probably true. And yes, I had to look that up. Um, so, oh, but I, I thought the movie was really stylish. And I'll tell you guys right now, I was pissed off. Even though Matthew Vaughn was directing, I was pissed that they were starting over again. I was like, really? You know, let's just stay on track. Even if the last one sucked, 
just keep going. And if you make something good, people won't care. And what I didn't realize is if you make something good, then it doesn't matter if you start over again too. And we had good and looking, were. we had good looking X-Men uniforms. Yeah. Uh, but they weren't really starting over. No, but they, I mean, they were there. They essentially wanted to say, forget about that last movie. Well, that right. last but as long as, as long, as long as Hugh Jackman is playing Wolverine, it's not a reboot. Right. It's still all the same universe. You know, um, a reboot, a reboot casts different actors to play the same parts. So it was a prequel. Well, which, which they did. <laughs> but, they did now. Right, but, but I'm saying like whole yeah, cloth. Yeah, I know. I know. You know like, and and we got a fantastic Magneto story. Yeah, see, my, I was, I didn't like First Class when it came out at all. And, Look, I've softened on it some, and I love the half of the movie that is the good actors. So McAvoy and, and Fassbender, mm-hmm. you know? I love their stuff. I think that stuff's really good. The actual first class aspect of it, I found that really underwhelming and uninteresting. I didn't like the, 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 you know, for like the new mutants mm-hmm. very much, you know? Um, I had one question though, cause I, I was rewatching Days of Future Past this afternoon because I know we were taught we were going to talk about it. And one thing I was occurred to me was: Is there any indication in the first two or three X Men movies, we even cut the third one, that Xavier and Mystique had any kind of relationship? No, no. Because in these prequels, it is like they're like brother and sister, right? And so, because I was watching that this, and it was reminding me of Days of Future Past, where the whole story about her breaking into his house and him raising her and there's no indication of there's no recognition between the two of them in any of those original movies. Well, well the continuity. Are, are, are you looking for continuity? Yeah, I mean it's disastrous. I'm looking for no, but I'm looking for something. I'm looking for the fact that like they're telling us that he helped that he basically raised Mystique and she betrayed him and all these things. And in the original X Men movies, Mystique's one of the you know key villains in the first two X Men films. And there's like no reference to that whatsoever. So it just, it, it felt particularly egregious to me where they are doing continuity. They are keeping. Well, they're, they're doing the most slip shod haphazard yeah. when it's convenient continuity. Yeah. Because if yeah. you sit down and look at those movies, I mean, just the use of mutants in different time periods, the use of different characters, it, it doesn't make sense. Like no. if, if you, don't have the okay. This is cool, so I'll let it slide. Uh, thing going on, yeah. Then they're just a disaster. Like if you are a continuity nut, you can't watch these movies. It's no. not even just being a continuity nut. It's just that so much of the movie is based on them, their relationship. Both this and Days of Future Past is based mm-hmm. is very much based on Charles and Raven's relationship. Uh, that it just seems so out of whack that that. They, they kind of made that up, and, and then if you want to watch the originals and go like, hey, I have no idea, it doesn't seem like they know each other at all. Um, so I, it just it just struck me as very strange. I, uh, I like half think- of First Class, but I don't I don't love the movie. I think it's fine. I think it's fine. Thinking about it now, you got to wonder when did she have time to have Kurt? <laughs> Isn't Kurt yeah. her kid? When when did she have time to do all that? I don't, I don't know if we know yet. I think and it really may not be like we don't know even now because Days of Future Past changed everything. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I want to get into the, yeah, we'll get into this because what's what was interesting about the movie and I think kind of fun about First Class was it took place in the early '60s during the Cuban Missile Crisis, mm-hmm. um, and I thought that was interesting. But what they what they're doing going forward, and we'll get to this, is that they're like 
they're skipping. It seems like they're skipping ahead ten years every new movie. Uh, that you know? seems yeah. to be the case. And the actors don't look ten years older, right? At all, no. you know. Well, it's like well, looking at the looking at the ads. It, it looks like uh, Xavier loses his hair throughout the course of the movie, so he must just age horribly in in the space of like a year. Well, when yeah, you when yeah. you spend decades at a time weeping to yourself, <laughs> it has detrimental effects on your health. Yeah. I mean, we'll, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get there. But yeah, no, First Class was definitely, like I said, I didn't love it, but it was reinvigorating for the series. Um, it, it got people, it was an X-Men movie that people enjoyed again for the first time. Yes. Uh, after, after the letdown of two straight bad X-Men movies in a row. And it, you know, and it brought, you know, McAvoy and, and Fassbender into the X-Men universe. And I think, you know, well, you know, I think they, they carry on those, the legacy of those characters, you know, playing them in ourselves, but I thought they did really well. Well, they were a big part of reinvigorating things because their yeah. performances were so solid. Yeah. Uh, and, and as much as they were reminiscent of Stuart and McKellen, they weren't aping them. Right. Yeah. No, they do. I mean, yeah, it, it's tough to get into a conversation about timelines with these, not being necessarily because of the time travel, but like, I don't know, children who were alive during the Holocaust, I guess Ian, Ian McKellen's age, like I don't know. No, I, it it just, sure. yeah, it, they just. It just seems. It just seems like they, you know, they, it's kind of like with, uh, at least in the Marvel movies, they they made it where, yeah, Cap went down in World War Two, but right, none of the right. guys are alive anymore. You know, like he's not running around with Dum Dum or or anything, and Fury wasn't there. You know, like well, and they they Marvel moved. Comics. They kind of advance everybody into. Rather than being from Vietnam, they're from the Gulf War. Right, like Frank Castle stuff from right, Frank right. Castle served in the Middle East. And, and, right. and Cap's not tracking down Nazis who who he remembers from the war. Right, they haven't brought Red Skull back into it or anything. Yeah. Uh, the timelines are always kind of weird, especially when they want to do these things like this is a 60s period piece and the 70s period piece that they do with Days of Future Past. Well, and, and that's actually kind of problematic because, you know, in the comic books, we've been reading comic books for decades and the characters never age, although the times do. But it is when they say, I want to do something like Cuban Missile Crisis, then they're pinpointing a time and it's a little harder to overlook things. That was one thing I thought Burton did really well. Sorry, Burton did oh. well with his Batman movies. Was yes. they're ti- you know they're not timeless in the sense that you can tell that movie. <laughs> they're almost know, placeless. But, but well, they are because yeah, nobody lives in Goth- his Gotham City. It's right. like twenty five people. But <laughs> but the but the um the costumes and the cars and and you know he, he cre- had this that Art Deco look that carried over into the show that kind of put it in a timeless place. Yes. Um, uh, so it, it wouldn't nail it down in a particular place in time. And so you're right, though. When they say the Cuban Missile Crisis, that means we're definitely in 1962. There's no other. That's when that happened, you know. So well, let's uh, Beth, real quick. What what is your? You know, it's been out for a few years now. How do you feel about First Class overall? Honestly, I I didn't even see it in the theaters, which is weird for me because. I love X-Men movies, but I, I didn't even see Origins in the theaters because that other movie we don't talk about anymore. Um, but when I finally saw it on TV, I really, really liked it. Um, like Chad, the New Mutants did not impress me. I like the guy who plays Beast. He's really good. Yeah, um, but I've liked him before yeah. and other stuff. Um, 
I was upset about not having a good Hellfire Club because I always thought they were good characters and I thought they would be a good foil. But it wasn't really about them, ultimately. They were just kind of there to, to be bad guys. They weren't really the main protagonists. Well, and that's part of the problem with the whole X-Men franchise is we don't have, like, Reavers or Morlocks or actual... Like, it's always about Magneto. Yeah. Yeah. That, Which I think and, is going to be the problem with the new movie. Uh, yes. Uh, so let's... Well, I mean, it, 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 it is... Yeah, I mean, no, you're right. They, they they have yet to really have great villains other than Magneto in these movies. And they they do that thing where they, instead of, you know, what Marvel does... Like, Marvel was smart. They, they used Loki for two movies, or three movies, but then they kind of pushed him aside. Like, he's not the villain of all the Marvel movies. Right. And then and, they tease Thanos for five... And that's fine. I don't mind. I, I don't know. Mind I think that. that's fine. Yeah. I don't absolutely. mind that because no, most people don't even know who he is. Um, they still don't, even though he's actually in Guardians of the Galaxy. But, but with with uh, with the with these movies, it's like it's all about Magneto all the time. You know. I mean, I know they introduce Shaw and they introduce. I'm losing his name, but Peter Dinklage's character in his Trask. Trask. Right. So they have like quote unquote villains in those movies, you know, but it's always still gonna be Magneto over Magneto versus Professor X. And well, so we don't get those kind of iconic stories. We we've been talking about it. Let's go ahead and move on. Well, real quick, let's say the Wolverine. We gotta hit the Wolverines next. Wolverine, I thought it was a lot of fun. It's not a game changer. Uh I love that movie. But I thought it was really cool, really fun. Uh, to me it was and and your mileage may vary, to me it was like Punisher Warzone. It was just a fun chunk of Wolverine y goodness. Yeah, uh, that was not bogged down by any continuity. Uh, what is what I liked about it was that that miniseries that it's based on is the first Wolverine solo book. Yes, I think right. It was Chris Claremont. Was Frank? Did Frank Miller draw it or just do the covers? Um, I knew he did covers. He, I believe, he did the art. I believe he yeah. did all the art in that. Um, and it was a four four part. You know, Wolverine goes to Japan, and it was a prequel in the sense that it took place before he joined the X Men in that book. I believe it was before he joined the X-Men or yes. around there. So, but I thought with the Wolverine, I thought they did a good job of adapting that story very loosely, obviously. Yeah. But adapting that into, and, and this is what people, you know, what I've come to kind of come to grips with is, is that I don't read X-Men comics anymore and I haven't in a long time. And so actually my only exposure to the X-Men anymore are these movies. Mm-hmm. So I thought they did a very good job of adapting it into the movie continuity. There to the movie, not the movie continuity, the movie feel, the movie the, tone, the movie, the movie tone, the movie. Yeah, yeah. X-Men, you know, it's not the Wolverine from the comics, but it did really well. I think as a huge Batman Wolverine movie. Yes. You know? Um, and and in that case, I really like that. And you're right, they 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 let him cut loose a little bit. Um, and and yeah, it's it's silly, but you know, I want to see Wolverine in Japan, and yeah, Silver Samurai. I want I'm, I wanted to see that stuff, and I got it. And especially after Origins, it was, you know, just a breath of fresh air of just. I mean, it's just a good action movie. Just happens to Star Wolverine. It was. It was a. It was a relief. Oh, they can yeah. do this. Yeah. Beth, yeah. how do you feel about that one? Um. So, of the twelve Julian X Men comics that came out in the late nineties, early two thousands, I get my my timelines confused and all that stuff. But isn't old Wolverine going to Japan? Isn't that where originally Lady Deathstrike comes from? Um, like he meet like he wrongs her father or something, and well, she comes back for revenge or something. The, what, what it was is they had Wolverine's supposed wedding to yeah. Mariko in the Uncanny X Men. 
And then I believe after that is when they had this miniseries that detailed the story behind that. Yeah. Uh, his time in Madripoor and, and in Japan. Uh, and, I, and I, I just, I kind of wanted a cooler Lady Deathstrike than we got from the original X-Men movie. Uh, to be honest, Lady Deathstrike's not that cool. She's, she's, she's a, cool. well, okay, she's cool, but she's not that involved. She hates Logan. That's kind of her did, whole deal. And that's the other thing, well, too. Again, we're not starting over. This is not a reboot. So they already did her. You know, they already did Lady Deathstrike. Right. I, mean, I know you didn't. You know, so in what was that X two they did that with her? Uh, Ke- yes, Kelly who she was right? with Stryker. Yeah, yeah. Who they just for some reason William Stryker is now a major player. <laughs> what the fuck is that? He's actually on my TV right this, now. This is the guy <laughs> that we're we're bringing back every time. I don't get that. Um, okay, so Wolverine. But anyway, I, overall, I liked the movie. It was fun, and it didn't tie into anything else. But that was fine. Yes. Because it, it stood on its own and it was fun and I didn't need it to try to do anything else but what it did. Well, two two quick points. One, I was upset that he didn't speak Japanese because Logan should sure, Logan shows sure. Japanese. That bothered me. I agree but with two, that. at the very end of the movie, there's a, there's a little tag. Oh gosh, I forgot. Right where? Oh yeah. Uh, Xavier and uh, uh, in in Mag- in Magneto. And by that I mean Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen, right? Right. Youth- show up or youthified. Show up to tell Logan they need his help. Now that is supposed to be a reference to Days of Future Past. That is not how it plays out in Days of Future Past. Right. Um, how they how they get together. And by the way, um, do we know how Xavier's alive in that timeline? Well, that's the thing: is all of the codas in these movies. That hint at future things never pay off. None of no, them. No, I mean, make I thought that was a past tease. You know, none like of them make any be. sense. Well, I was, that's but, why but I'm saying, why, why can't Deathstrike come back? We're not rebooting, but <laughs> we're rewriting timelines, and we can't have yeah. Lady Deathstrike come back. Well, I, I guess mean, my question is simply this: we get, we get after this, we get Days of Future Past, where we're in the future, and and we've got Patrick Stewart. As, as Professor X. In that scene in Wolverine, you have Patrick Stewart as Professor X, and that's contemporary because that storyline takes place after Gene's death because Franka Jansen actually shows up in the Wolverine. Right. Um, so we know what, so we know she's dead, which means Professor X is dead. Did they do any explanation, um, did they do any explanation as to why, as how he's alive? Well, all I can think of and and I honestly don't want to put too much thought into it because they obviously didn't either. <laughs> but at the end of the third one, um, the the empty mutant or whatever wakes up and it's Professor X, and maybe oh yeah the uh, the different Moira McTaggart right right the other Moira is sitting there with and and Charles's consciousness has gone into this empty mutant and maybe he physically ends up looking like professor x I, I yeah mean, that's but, the thing like, that body, yeah it was just weird it's, it, it, right. just, it just doesn't make any sense it's one of those things where you have to go whatever okay yeah. so speaking of whatever and okay yeah. uh, i'll go ahead and and get out real quick how i felt about days of future past and you guys can discuss it uh i fucking hated it 
I thought it was hot garbage. And if I had not been, uh, me and Mrs. Troublemaker were on a double date with another couple. And if that were not the case, we would have gotten up and left. Why? Because I what thought that you know what what do you hate about it anymore? so much. I fucking hate everything about it. I hate. No, 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 no. no. That's not enough. What I, do you I understand. Think about it? I hate that Professor X cried for an hour. I hate that. Well, and I wrote all of this. Actually, listeners, if you want to, if you want the details, you can go to needlessthingssite.com and I wrote a review and Beth wrote a review. Beth's review is more positive than mine is. My review is absolutely purely negative. And I'll tell you right now, I have not watched the movie since I saw it in the theater. So I, I can't, at this point, I can't sit here and detail everything that I hated about it, but I wrote it all down at the time. It's all in my review. Okay. And you know, it's a weird fucked up world when I'm more positive than you are. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, I just, I just find it strange because I find like, I don't think it's great, but I find it a complete watchable fun movie. I don't. I, 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 I enjoy it. Yeah. And I, I, and I know you guys feel totally differently than me. So, so yeah. discuss. <laughs> um, I've only seen, I'm currently, I, today I watched a little bit of the rogue cut which I have on Blu-ray, um, the, the extended version of the movie. Um, and uh, I don't know. I I have problems with it. I mean, let's get this out of the way. The the, the downfall of the X-Men franchise and what sounds like it's going to be the Apocalypse Now, Apocalypse Now, <laughs> with Apocalypse <laughs> Come Now. Apocalypse that would soon. Be a better movie. Apocalypse, apocalypse, now apocalypse you. <laughs> you know, at presently, <laughs> is that Jennifer Lawrence became a big fat movie star. Mm-hmm. And they have decided for some, well, we know for the reason, to make Mystique a central figure, not as an X-Men villain, but as an X-Men, you know? And so that is a problem where they keep, you know, Days of Future Past is all about Mystique. It's all about Mystique. And like I said, it didn't bother me, but it, it is a... It is what's happening to the franchise. Is they, they, they've got this giant movie star, there's a Academy Award-winning giant movie star in their midst, and they keep it's. It reminds me of how what they do with Hugh Jackman, right? Is they got Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, and he becomes a giant star, and so in this movie, instead of Kitty going back in time, Wolverine goes back in time, which makes sense to me because he's the star of this franchise. Well, let me let me say this real quick. I know I said I was going to shut up, but I do have to say this. I like Jennifer Lawrence as an actress quite a bit. Um, she basically sold me The Hunger Games, which is something I thought I'd have no interest in. I like her mystique, even though her mystique has, like, is so far gone from the comic book mystique. But I feel like she's the character that they've made the most interesting. And, and, and as you said, there's a reason for that. Yes. Uh, but I, I don't mind her story. It's the one thing that I'm kind of like, okay, I'm good with that. All right, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I I enjoyed what they did with the with the time travel. I enjoyed what they did with. I mean, yeah, it's a little hokey that just like they did with the '60s, where you go to the '70s and Wolverine wakes up and he's looking at a lava lamp, and it's a very like kind of on the nose, you know, wedding singer esque view of a time period of a decade, you know. But um, I don't know. I, I, I find the film enjoyable. I, lo- I love the opening, actually. I like the opening where you watch them all get killed and then it, it backs up. I think that's a, a fun idea. I liked seeing um, Bishop. I liked seeing, you know, other characters. I liked seeing Ellen Page back. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, 
what it comes down to me, though, however, is the end where the Brian Singer just puts a giant middle finger up to Brett Ratner. Because the end of the movie is him telling Brett Ratner to go fuck himself. Because he erases X-Men 3. Well, we all the thought the middle finger, but he actually... I know, did. but I'm saying, but the movie actually legitimately <laughs> just erases X-Men 3 from the continuity. Completely. It Which just was says, fine by me. No, it's fine. No, I think that's great. It was just, it was, I just thought how, that it was really funny. But uh, I don't know. I, I think it's a fun movie with uh, some cool stuff. It drags a little bit, and um, I like the design on the Sentinels. I like the, the action. I like the, I don't know. I, I, I guess I just don't, I, much like with First Class and much like with The Wolverine, I guess, like, I don't think any of them are spectacular movies. Um, but I think they're all on the same level of enjoyability. You know, so. Beth, do you still dig it as much as you did when you wrote that review? I, I actually do. I, I'm not wavering on this. I still love the beginning. I wish there'd been more of the the terrible future. I think Blink's powers were awesome. They were up there with X Men Two with Nightcrawler bamfing all over the place. Except hers even were teleporting people all over. So that was even kind of cooler. Yeah, with superheroes now. using their powers in concert, which is something that's... Yeah. I mean, video games do it all the time, and I love that. And that's when I one of those things where I was like, oh my god, they just did that power that you can do in this game. Yeah. The, like, uh, the only good part of X-Men 3 when they did the fastball special with Colossus throwing Wolverine. But they were doing that kind of stuff that made me want to see more of it. Um, I... Honestly, it had been so long since I'd read the comic when the first time I saw the movie, I immediately, my brain went to the cartoon from the 90s. So in my head, it was Bishop who should have been going back in time, when in the comics, it was Kitty. Yeah. But in the cartoon, they sent Bishop. Well, let's, so I, let's give a big shout out to the cartoon, which is the best adaptation of those Claremont comics we're ever going to see. Well, probably, yeah, I haven't seen them in forever, so I don't know. I haven't seen them in a very there, long time. I mean, the voice acting's a little shaky, the animation's a little shaky, but the, as, as far as long-form storytelling and adapting those Chris Claremont comics, which are the reason I love X-Men like I do, that cartoon's fucking phenomenal. It's probably the only place you're ever going to see the, the Shi'ar or any of that weird outer space stuff they did. Well, I don't know, but we'll get to that after, <laughs> after we discuss... Oh, I- the uh, coming out today, the day that this podcast goes up, X Men Apocalypse. Uh, I will go ahead and say, are you going to lay some crickets over the soundtrack? Here? I've got. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't. I didn't. When I first heard about this, I didn't want to be excited because I hated Days of Future Past so much. And I'll tell you guys this: at some point, I will watch Days of Future Past again because. I love the X-Men, and because I have to say, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I didn't get it the first time. Uh, I have to give it another chance. I will at some point. But Can I watch it with you so that I can hear you say you were wrong about something? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you, you guys, <laughs> watch, you guys make sure know to watch this. the road cut. You yep. guys know this, though. I If I'm wrong, I say it. I mean, I come right out and, and will say it, just like yep. if, uh, if I'm wrong about how much Kevin Smith's Buckaroo Banzai is going to suck. I'll You're not going to be wrong about that. You no, will not, not be wrong about I'm that. I'm not going to be wrong about that. Um, but, so Days of Future Past, uh, I, I hated and I didn't, I, I was done with Brian Singer's X-Men. 
Uh, but Age of Apocalypse did several things that I couldn't help but get excited about. Uh, I don't hate Olivia Munn like everybody else does. I actually think she's fun. Uh, I really don't care if she has geek cred or not because to me that's has nothing to do with how good she an actress. She actually does have geek cred. She used to work for G4. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that, to me that has nothing to do with how good an actor is. And no. she is, you know, in, in this day and age, uh, looks and, and resemblance to a character don't mean as much. But if anybody's Psylocke, she is. They got the costume right. And I was very interested. I'm not going to say I was sure she was going to be good, but I was very interested in seeing her Psylocke. But to She's me, either supposed to be British or Asian, though. Well, who knows? Uh, but the to me, the selling point was Oscar Isaac. Isaac or Isaacs? I'm so bad about plurals in last oh. names. Uh, Oscar, Oscar Isaacs. Isaacs, yeah. Isaacs. Uh, Just call him Poe. It's fine. Just yes, Poe. Po. Yeah. To me... He's used to it. After seeing... Ex Machina, him as Apocalypse was fucking genius. And I didn't see that movie until after I saw the Ivan Ooze pictures of Apocalypse. Yeah. But once I saw that movie, I didn't care what he looked like. Him as Apocalypse was perfection. So even though I hated Days of Future Past and I'm done with Brian Singer, this movie had elements that I was like, gosh, I'm going to have to go see it. I'm going to have to give it a chance because I, I always want to give things a chance. I never want to write anything off. I always want there to be the opportunity for there to be good movies of things that I love. So I, I, I'm not going to say I was pumped about it, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to have to go see it because I have to give it a chance. There are elements here, and, and like I said, I like the Mystique story. Fassbender and McAvoy are, are great. You know, there's no denying them. Uh, I want to see the four horsemen on screen, even though they don't look like they should look, and even though none of this makes any fucking sense as far <laughs> as the trailers, what the trailers are showing me, I'm going to go check it out. Even though in the trailer, once again, we have an exploding bridge and a crying Xavier... I'm going to go give it a chance. And then the reviews start coming in. Where yeah, to be clear, guys? we haven't seen it yet. No, no we have not have seen it yet. yet. And it yeah. may be utterly fantastic. I might go love this thing. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm not expecting to. No, but where, where are you guys with this? It's uni been universally prior, prior to the reviews that are seemingly loathing this, where were you guys on this movie? Probably uh, I was gonna see it. That was about it. But like, it wasn't on my radar at all because we had this thing called Civil War coming, and that's all I cared about. Oh comic my gosh, wise. Right. And, and honestly, I could see Civil War nine more times and not even worry about seeing Apocalypse. Um, so it wasn't really on my radar. I wasn't. I definitely wasn't putting any thought into it. Um, I I like the cast. No problem with Olivia Munn. I love Oscar Isaacs. But um, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't something I was stoked for, you know. It was just something that, like, when it came out, I knew I'd go see it. Um, now I'm not so sure, because <laughs> um, apparently one of the things that's wrong is that Oscar Isaac's great actor that he is is been buried under so much makeup and costume that he doesn't come through at all. Well, and is another just sort of bland, cut out villain. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, from from what I've read, it it's Magneto's the bad guy again. Right. 
Yeah, and they kind of hint that in the, the last trailer, kind of hints that, where he's like, anything good you saw in me, Charles, is not. And I'm like, again? We're just going to go back and forth with him again and again and again? Which I know is what the comics do. Magneto's been flip-flop more than... But you know. but they told so many stories in between those flip-flops. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, it's true. They did. They did. But they yeah, bro- I mean, they and, broke it up. I mean, Magneto was the John Kerry of, of comic books, but he, <laughs> he, he like... He just go, you know, but so, but the, with, with these movies, yeah, I just, I don't know. I'm not excited anymore. I may see it. I may not. I, I honestly, at this point, just because of the word and, and it's not like snobby critics and I consider myself one of those people, but it's not like snobby critics no, are failing it. It's geek websites that are, are, that are going after it. It's yeah, legitimate yeah. film critics. I, like nobody is liking it. Absolutely well, nobody. And at this point, I actually feel more compelled to see it soon. So that I can develop, I mean, there's no way around these horrible reviews, but I, I kind of want to see it soon more so I can develop my own opinion before I get yeah. the, the barrage of the release reviews. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. at this point, yeah. I'm kind of like, oh, well, critics don't like it, and critics are assholes sometimes, so maybe I'll dig it. Which I know Maybe is not going to be the case. I have a feeling. I have a feeling Civil War could even outgross it. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it won't. But like, I mean, I could see it even not it opening might. number one. Like as far as the weekend goes. Yeah, yeah I, I can see it not even right. opening number one. I mean, it probably will just because it's new and 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 big. But I, yeah, I mean, people just I don't see anybody excited for it whatsoever. Now, other than Olivia Munn, who I follow on Instagram, she's very excited. Now, do you? Here's here's an interesting point uh, because I don't think any of us. Beth, were you excited before it? Of excited for it prior to the shitty reviews coming out? Oh, very much so. And like, su- I, like super, like oh, awesome! I'm I'm stoked. And and I am taking all of these reviews with a grain of salt. Sure, as you should. So I I was very excited to see Apocalypse. The Age of Apocalypse was always one of my favorite storylines. So I was very, very excited at the thought of Apocalypse and the Four Horsemen, and I didn't even care who the Four Horsemen were going to be because in the comics he went through like 12,000 horsemen. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's had tons of different horsemen, but they've always looked uh, significantly different, non-human, altered, and and these don't. Well, and I, I hate Angel in general, and I hated Angel. Watch your mouth. I... Don't you speak ill of the Worthingtons. This is not the Buffy podcast, Beth. You are confused. I hate Angel in all universes. You you just hate characters named Angel. In the Weedverse, in the Marvelverse, hate them all. You've got an angel bias. You do. (laughs) I do have an angel bias. (laughs) You do. Um, But I like it. But you don't like Chris Angel either. Well, that's fair. Nobody does. But I I like him when he's a horseman. I like him when he's got the awesome. Well, when he's Archangel, he's- when he's Archangel, Archangel yeah. is he's an Archangel. entirely different character. And Archangel's bad. Yeah. yeah, I don't like Warren Worthington. Well, I, I, he's still Warren deep down in there. He may be purple and yeah. metal, but he's well, still Warren. Anybody okay, purple but, and metal is but better. But he looks different. He looks like a horseman. Psylocke just looks like looks normal like Psylocke. Right. Uh, Storm looks like normal Storm, and from Magneto what I can tell, Magneto's just. Right. Normal Magneto, and, and that's my issue with them being the. And, and Magneto looks just like Steve Jobs. It's crazy. 
<laughs> All right. So, uh, I, we're, we're two out of three of us are certainly going to give Apocalypse a chance, which is kind of weird. I, I know I'll see it. I know I'll see it. I'll definitely I, see it. I will see it very early on. If not opening weekend, I will see it early on. I've got other plans coming up this weekend that take precedence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. But yeah, I'd much I'm rather go to a meat the- party than see Apocalypse. Exactly. I'm going to Fogo to Chow instead of going to see X-Men. <laughs> but I'll see it probably in the next couple weeks when I can find somebody to go see it with me because Carrie just will not watch any of that. Right, right. Yeah. So, yeah. Apocalypse, not uh, tweaking anybody's nipples over here. No. So let's real quick, uh, only because we have to touch on it or the listeners will be like, why the fuck didn't you talk about this? Uh, X-Men and the comic books right now, Marvel has essentially sidelined the Fantastic Four and the X-Men. I, I, I'm not going to say they de-emphasized them because, I mean, they've got Bendis writing the main book still. And, I mean, he's one of their superstar top guys, so anything he's working on is not sidelined. No, he's not, from... he's not right. Is he writing the main book? Oh, I thought he was still doing one he's of the Iron... books. I know he's writing Iron Man. Oh, you're right. That switch has happened. So Yeah, that switch happened. I don't know if he's writing X-Men. Yeah, he's, so... He's... And this is in the Iron Man land. And, and I'll be honest, I haven't read X-Books in a while, uh, really since the 198, because the mutants just got too fucking confusing. Yeah, that's why I quit a long time ago. Well, and then there was there was House of M where people lost their powers and all the mutants died, and then they all came back to life. And somebody had powers and somebody didn't. Yeah, I was keeping up with all that mess. Uh, yeah, and it did. It just got to be too much. So I mean, for the listeners, I'll be honest. I've not read a modern X Men comic. Well, I was reading uh, Uncanny Avengers by Rick Remainder, and that was pretty fantastic uh, for Wait, a long the, time. The Joss Whedon X Men counts as modern. It, it does, it does, but it's, it's not still as, ten years ago. But it's yeah. not, it's not as up to date as remainder stuff, which is still in the past at this point. But Uncanny X Force, Uncanny Avengers. I, I, the last book I read was Remainder's X Force. Yeah, and that, that stuff book was really good. That, that stuff was, was really great. Good. But and all that stuff. Yeah. But it's not your your primary X Men team. It's your no. It's your no. you know wet works. Uh, I tried reading every once in a while. I tried reading when an event came up. I'd check it out. And you it's know. just not good. I'd read an issue and be like, I don't care, and I don't know who these people are. It's like me reading DC most of the time, you know, where I'm like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know, because I no, it's not that. It's just I don't read enough DC to, uh, to right to, to keep up to with read it. one of their events. The or continuity to, is so damn thick, or to even have a conversation with Jeff Johns that would make sense to me. Um, <laughs> right, right, because he is he he. Because those, you know, I, so it's the same thing. It's just, there was just so much. I was like, I don't know who these people are and those people are. I know it's because I've been out of it for a long time. Um, but it's also, I feel like an event should be a time you should be able to jump on. Yeah. And that's and, not how they treat them now. Instead, an event is something steeped in, in deep, deep continuity. Yeah. It's very yeah. insider knowledge. Oh, that notice real fact what Marvel has been doing on their books. Uh, just, I think just starting this month is, uh, they have a little, um, label they put on the issues is say new story arc starting now yeah yeah which is, is something they just started and i think that's really smart it's kind of like you know they're doing it on the star wars books too they're doing it on 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 their the superhero books well and to be fair basically labeling it like you can just pick this up and start reading to be fair to dc they're doing that this week with their rebirth event uh they are attempting to sort of 
start fresh without starting fresh. Uh, we've got a whole other podcast on that. Yeah, yeah, that posted, yeah you guys, I don't, I don't want to be anywhere near that. As it goes up, it posted last week. So you guys can actually, you guys that are listening can go listen to that yeah. episode with me and Mike Gordon right now. But, uh, to wrap up the X-Men. But yes, yes. So they're, so, so real quick to say that, so they're basically shutting down all the X-Men books. Well, I, nobody, I mean, you know, you can go on the internet all day long and read what people are speculating about. And, and the widely held belief is that due to the fact that Fox holds, uh, the movie rights for X-Men and yeah. for Fantastic Four, uh, or wait, is Fantastic Four Sony or? Fox? Uh, that's, that's Fox, right? I thought yeah. it was Fox. Yeah, that's Fox. Okay. So because of the fact that Fox owns the movie rights, uh, and that Marvel cannot have any of that big movie fun, they are hugely de-emphasizing the Fantastic Four and X-Men comics. The Fantastic Four are essentially gone at this point. Uh, they are yeah. off creating some other universe or some shit in the wake of Secret Wars. And the X-Men are... Marvel is basically attempting to replace mutants with Inhumans, which is yeah. really weird because nobody gives a shit about Inhumans. Uh, you are not watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I am watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> and I would go so far as to say that while Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. does not entertain me in the way that some of the DC shows do, I think it's a much higher quality television show. Uh, I don't think it's higher quality than Flash, but it is definitely... I um, do. I think story-wise, I think Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. holds up a lot better than Flash does. Yes, I don't think so, but I I think that that, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is better than people give it credit for. But they basically, I think next year, say they should just rename it and call it The Inhumans, since they cancel The Inhumans movie anyway. Yeah, right, um, right. They might as well just call it just shield the Inhumans. Well, and hopefully, hopefully they're recognizing that the Inhumans have no traction. Yeah, uh, and that their efforts would be better just maintaining the X Men in the comics until they eventually get the the franchise back. I think uh, what they were hoping was maybe Ages of Shield would be like, you know, phenomenon type numbers because of how successful the Marvel yeah, movies. Right, are. right. And so they thought that maybe Ace of Shield would be appointment television. It would be something that everybody that watched the Marvel movies would watch. Well, and if you had viewing, and it's not for a lot of people. If you and hadn't so, had your Faggy Perlmutter pissing contest, then it might have been. It might have been, but you but might I just have had think, more more synchronicity between the. Yeah, the, I just the, think they thought it was going to be bigger than it was, and yeah. that's how we're going to bring in the Inhumans. And it hasn't caught on traction. The show got another season, and I'm glad, and I enjoyed most a lot of the characters on it, but it. You know, no one outside of the people who watch that show, and it, its renewal was not a given. No, no, it wasn't. Uh, and, and nobody else so had know anything about the Inhumans or anything like that, so it, it doesn't seem like it's something they can sell. Um, the only reason, but, but as far as I'm canceling the books, the only thing, I, I agree that they could do that to kind of devalue you know, uh, Sony's movie or Fox's movies, but they would still only do that if the books weren't selling well. Right. If those books were selling a lot of copies, they wouldn't cancel them. And I think they've had such a mess with the X-Men side of the Marvel universe over the past decade that, you know, they, they need some new blood in there. Uh, but see, I'm the person I don't, I'd actually, everyone says, I don't want Marvel to get the X-Men back. In 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 so well, not because I, I think Fox is doing a great job is because I don't think it, they mix well. I don't. Well, no, no, no. 
I want Marvel to get the X-Men back, but I do not want them to share a universe with the Avengers. Right, not be in the MCU. Right, yeah. which yeah. unfortunately is impossible because people's expectations, you know, if Marvel does get them back, is going to be... Where's Hugh Jackman? Right. Uh, Beth, what do you think about that? Is there room in the Aveng- in the Marvel Cinematic Universe for the X-Men? I, I think there is room for a crossover, but I, I wouldn't want to see them be like... Spider-Man and Ant-Man, just every time we do this thing, we got to have these guys show up. Right, right. They can, they can cross over. And I, I do remember reading the, uh, crossover parts of the X-Men Civil War stories, and I thought they were good in the ways that they crossed over, but they weren't just like, hey, we're going to join up with you guys. Right. They touched each other and they were a part of the same story, but it wasn't, Okay, so we're doing this, and you guys all have to pick a side, and I, I think that would have been way too much stuff going on. Well, and, that's, and I think it will be way too much stuff going on if they do that. That's what the mutant superhero relationship has always been: is the X Men always inhabited their own corner, had their own problems, and that's actually my big issue with the movies: is the X Men don't often handle world-threatening situations. The X-Men handle mutant-threatening situations like the Reavers, like Cameron Hodge, like the Legacy Virus. Like The stuff that that works best for them story-wise is stuff that's a direct threat to mutants, not stuff that's going to destroy the whole planet. But they do deal with you know, changing timelines and, 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 oh, yeah, yeah. All things of like, that. It, oh, things like sure, House of Venom sure. and things like that. Oh, yeah, so, the comic continuity, really, yeah. if we're being they honest, so is dissociate. not any better than the movie continuity. Yeah. Yeah. And they seem <laughs> so, they seem like, it, it just feels like if they would introduce X-Men into the current MCU, we'd be like, where was all of this? Like, this stuff is big, you know? Hiding, I mean, hiding in Australia. Yeah, apparently. I mean, uh, seriously. They're all sitting there they, they were all on a Magneto's asteroid. But like yeah. I said, yeah. I don't yeah. want I don't want those continuities yeah. to cross over. They're too big for movies. Uh, yeah. I still think I, it would mix well because I, I, I do appreciate the some people. I do appreciate kind of the semi serious tone that the X Men movies, when they're at their best, do take yeah. um, because they are dealing with a I would argue a heavier subject matter than the Avenger movies Absolutely. deal with. So I mean, because at the end of the day, they are talking about racism and prejudice. And so the um, at least you know when people who know what they're doing are doing, people not named Ratner are doing them, but <laughs> it, it just seems like yeah it, they so the the tonally I just think I don't know if I want to see as, as great as Civil War was I don't think I want to see Wolverine in it maybe that's the one character they could probably do you know that would make people happy um, but I, I just I just don't see it. Well, and the thing is, what's he gonna do? What's, I yeah. mean, the, the, he's a character that's problematic in that way because he has giant knives that come out of his hands. That's his big feature. Yeah, the killing's kind of a thing he does. Right. So, it's what he does best. <laughs> so, and as and does, how are they going to work that into this big, yeah. very political storyline? All he does is show up and kill to. people. I mean, he wouldn't, he wouldn't fit in that. Well, the good news is Fox has already announced they're doing another one after apocalypse and, so. and that's let's let's that end on I don't let's, know yet. let's end on that uh singer's claim is that it will introduce and he's been a little vague but alien or outer space elements now some people think that this means dark phoenix and that we'll go out and they'll take the x-men out into space 
Star Jammers. Um, and I think that's a little too much for one movie. Some people think that the brood might be introduced, and that's a little too derivative for a movie. Yeah. Uh, it worked in the comics because it was very clearly, oh, look, it's uh, aliens. It's xenomorphs. I was, get it, it. was it the Star Jammers? Is that was the... Yeah, the Dark the Phoenix. Corsair and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, it's though. when they the went Shia. out into space and yeah. uh, the Shi'ar Empire right. and all that. And that's a pretty bold move, especially coming on the heels of what is probably going to be uh, somewhat of a flop. Now, now Apocalypse well, is going to make money. And especially with Infinity War going taking us into space, most likely. Right. If they go from Age of Apocalypse straight into a Dark Phoenix story, that's... Well, they're, but they're not, they're not, not doing storytelling, but they're not doing age of apocalypse. That's not what this movie is. This movie no. is more akin to X factor six when apocalypse right. first showed up. Right. It's like age of Ultron. They just use the title. It, well, and this is, I mean, it's not even called age of apocalypse though. It's just called apocalypse. Yeah. It's called apocalypse. yeah. And, and yes. it's an introduction of the character. It's not, and, I and bet actually, they were call it age of but apocalypse they're introducing they so many new mutants. They, they can't possibly like, Hey, well, here's, here's old. young Jean Grey. All of a sudden, she's evil at the end. No, I, they won't do that. I mean, well, they did that with the first X Men, though. Where at the yeah, end, but she did. She she died at the end of the second one, so we'd had two forms, yeah. and she died heroically at the end of the second one. But at the end, so, didn't we get the hint? No, we didn't get that. We, get the, that we got the hint. Yeah, that she was you're right. You're back, right. Yeah, there was a there was a Phoenix shadow at, in, in the, the lake. Yeah, at that, the but that was the second, second one. one. I was thinking that was the end of the first. Yeah, one. no, but you're right. She, she dies the saving them at the end of the second one, and then there's that little hint she's going to come back, and well, you're like, oh, but and again, do it. Again, I don't feel like these movies worry too much about good storytelling. I feel like they are more about, hey, here's this thing we want to do, and we're going to do it. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's, it, it'll be interesting. It, the other, it, it just bothered me the day I heard Singer say that it was going to take place in the 90s. And I was like, we're just going to go a decade at a time. These actors aren't getting 10 years older at a chunk. It just feels like, why are we, you know... Well, I feel like that's another... It strains credulity at, at a, to a certain point. I right? feel like that's another example of the lazy storytelling, though. If we jump ahead a decade, we don't have to worry about showing what's going on with these people. We just like jump Jennifer ahead. Jennifer does not look like she's in her 30s. <laughs> well, she's a shapeshifter. Um, okay, fair enough. We, we jump she ahead. She does not look like Rebecca Romaine either, then. We okay. jump ahead, and we don't have to well, worry Santa about... Well, doesn't look like Fonka Jansen either. No, she doesn't. Well, no. Um, we jump ahead, and we don't have to worry about actually developing these characters. They're just what we want them to be after 10 years have passed. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, I... Yeah, I have. I don't have a ton of hope. I I like Brian Singer. I like a lot of the stuff that he does. I like his X Men movies. Um, apparently, I, from the sounds of it, Apocalypse is a sounds like a giant misstep. And um, if and, and if that's the case, it's a little hard to want him to continue being the steward of the the franchise. Um, uh, it looks like they've kind of. After their little tiff with him over Superman and X Men Three, it seems like they've they've gone back to him and said like, okay, it's all yours now. Um, uh, a lot of people aren't happy about that. Uh, I'm not. Yeah, I know you're not. Uh, <laughs> and we'll, you know, we'll see what happens. And, and look, and I love I, usual maybe suspects. Maybe after Apocalypse, I won't be either. You know? I love Usual uh, Suspects. I love the first two X Men movies that he did. Um, see, I like Valkyrie. I like a couple of his other movies too. But it was. Um, but if if this movie is as bad as people are saying, or even if it's half as bad as people are saying, 
then yeah, it's going to be problematic, you know, in the same I, way. I'm staying away from the that, reviews. That I mean, you you did notice they brought Ben Affleck on as an executive producer now on all the DC movies. I did, I did. Uh, well, and you know what, you didn't. Well, let's uh, let's wrap this up, and then once we're done recording, I'll tell you something real quick, Chad. That'll yeah, sure. probably give you a little warm, tingly feeling. Sure. Uh, so X Men Apocalypse. I can't help but be excited about certain things, even though I've heard they've been mishandled because Oscar Isaacs is awesome. Uh, and, and I just, I want to see these characters do cool things. Unfortunately, the reviews are saying that doesn't happen, but, uh, you know, I'm going to go see it. Yeah. I, uh, I'll, you know, I may go to a matinee next week sometime. That's bad. I, I'm, I'm not reading reviews because I Good want for you. to not be colored by other people's impressions of it because I'm still excited about it and I'm still going to go see it. Good, 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 good for you. And no matter what, we will always have uh, those original comic books, that 90s X-Men series and the and the movies that are good. Uh, no movies that come out from here on out are going to change the fact that they are. Uh, Beth and Chad, thank you so much for coming back and uh, wrapping this thing up and talking about X-Men. And at some point, we'll do uh, Buffy Season 2. So you say. Right. We'll get there. Thanks a lot, you guys. Bye. Thank you. Remember to check out patreon.com slash phantom troublemaker for all kinds of behind-the-scenes perks, rewards, goodies, a look at what I do, and a special exclusive podcast that you can only find on patreon.com. Man, lots of stuff possibly going on this weekend. It's Memorial Day weekend. A buddy of mine's having a birthday party. We may be having, uh, there, there will be more news about the Dirty Dirty Con Con Game Game Show show. My patrons already know about it. So, you know, you guys will know at some point. It's, it's, you know, I'm not going to keep it secret from you because you're still my Phantomaniacs. But, I'm just saying, the patrons found out a few days ago. You guys will find out in a couple of weeks. But uh, big stuff going on. Momocon is this weekend. TimeGate is this weekend. Megacon is this weekend. I'm not going to any of them because, unfortunately for me, I put my eggs in the wrong basket. Uh, so I, I've got no plans except for my buddy's birthday party, which should be a, a fun meat-induced coma this Saturday night. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, otherwise, just going to hang out with the family. And then uh, Memorial Day, I'm going to celebrate by going to work from 5 p.m. to 5 a.m. It'll be great. I'll have a wonderful time. Uh, but I will be working on previews, which is my favorite post to write for NeedlessThingsSite.com. So that's cool. I will enjoy that. And there will be a new previews rundown this coming Wednesday that you guys will be able to enjoy. And Monday will be possibly the final part of my look back at 1986 where I talk about television shows of 1986. That's all I got. Love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Needless Things Podcast. You're the best. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, or in the ears of a Trader Vicks employee. And of course, it's at needlessthingssite.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh Uh-huh.